Welcome to the Late Night with Chalky podcast. I'm Jay Late Night Larson. And I'm Lyndon Chalky Cabellion. In each episode, we will be talking to different surfers and surf shops to learn more about them and their passion for surfing. We will be diving deep into their experiences as well as their involvement and contributions to their local communities. Be sure to check out our website and Instagram feed for updates on future shows. Thank you for your support and we look forward to sharing these great stories with you. And now a word from our sponsors. Yes, we got sponsors. First up, Foo Wax. The best wax in the game. This stuff is so sticky and grippy, you'll never slip off your stick again. Ever. Ever. Again. So go to your local surf shop. And, and make sure they carry it. And if they don't, demand it. Demand it. You'll be stoked. Try it out. Our next sponsor, Bonsai Bowls. Oh. I know a lot of our listeners have, have had one of these. And if they haven't, they're going to now. They're missing out. They're missing out. It's a healthy, delicious, amazing, fresh acai bowl with tons of fruit and organic like ingredients. They've got five locations in Southern California. From Huntington to San Clemente and all in between. Two in Hawaii. Two in Hawaii for that, those on the North Shore. And, um, you know, come support these guys. They have amazing Asahi bowls, and they support the West Coast Board Riders and a lot of the surf events up and down the coast. And they've made it a lot easier With, to get them. They've got their own app now. That's right. Go to your app store and download Bonsai Bowl app, and you can pre-order, pre-pay, and just go pick up. Cut cut through the line. And for our listeners of the Late Night with Chalky podcast, you're going to get 15 off your next bowl. A 15% discount off yes. Bonsai Bowls. That's insane. Um, so make sure to mention the Late Night with Chalky podcast and you get 15% off That's at right. Bonsai Bowls. And one of our other favorite restaurants. Oh, Caliente, Caliente OC. Caliente Southwest.com. They offer healthy Mexican style food with local uh, organic ingredients. Family owned. Family owned. Their phone number is 949-515-0909. And our listeners get 15% off there as well. Yeah. So mention Late Night with Chalky Podcast and get 15% off at Caliente OC. And both these guys are great at catering events. So you could use them for a shop event, corporate event, birthday event, wedding, all of the above. They love to party. And last but not least, we are super stoked to welcome Olo Clip as a new sponsor of the Late Night with Chalky podcast. What is Oloclip? Uh, they make the original mobile lens system for your phone. So these can make clips that hold the lenses, the cases that are designed to make it really easy to get the clip on the phone. So check them out at oloclip.com. And for all the Late Night with Chalky podcast listeners, they get 10% off. That's, that's huge. Huge. So at checkout, the code is SURF10, that's S-U-R-F, the number 10, and you get 10% off Oloclip. And you guys got to check check out our Instagram. We're going to be posting pictures with these wide, in, wide lens uh, angles, uh, fish eye, all kinds of cool like photo options with your phone. And for you uh, rich dudes out there, like late night, they do make cl- uh, <laughs> lenses for iPhone 11s. What? What? Epic. Thank you, sponsors. Thank you. Friends and family, brothers and sisters, welcome to the Late Night with Chalky podcast. Welcome, listeners. This week's guest, Cocoa Beach, Florida, local, 
pro surfer, early pioneer of aerial surfing in the late 70s and 80s. This guy won the Stubbies Pro at Sebastian Inlet in 81. He's a shaper. He's a board builder. Welcome, Matt Keckley. What's up, guys? Legendary Matt Keckley. Sick. (laughs) Guess words. Fuck, man. (laughs) (laughs) Nice, dude. Uh, Well, it's a Saturday, and uh, we're stoked to uh, get you whenever we could. This is the first Saturday episode we've ever recorded. Right, Lars? Are you sure? Nice. I don't think so. <laughs> no, East Coast. Uh, you know, we are, we we love uh, love the East Coast. We love listening um, to all the stories over there because you know, over here on the West Coast, people think that the the industry is really small. But you guys got your your, your own little you know pro surfer network. You guys have all the same brands. But I mean, to to be able to like get your insight on your local community, the East Coast, what kind of board shapes are working over there. I mean, this is gonna be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Love to uh, share the stories with you guys and uh, take a walk back in time. And uh, yeah, so I'm happy to be here. It's a rainy day here in Florida, you guys. And you know, I'm just chilling, taking a little break from work this today and uh, probably be going back to work tomorrow. But it's been a nice day off. Nice. All right. So here we go. Uh, take us back to the beginning. How did you get into surfing? Yeah, um, so my dad was a World War II flight engineer, and uh, he worked for Boeing um, and moved here to Cocoa Beach in the late 50s and got to be part of the early space program. Um, He took what he learned as a flight engineer in World War II and was able to kind of roll some of that knowledge and get into, uh, you know, um, working on rockets and stuff and uh so he worked for general dynamics here in uh coca beach i grew up as a you know in a family of five two older sisters and two older brothers wow and um so fortunately for me uh you know my parents moved from new mexico and uh came to coca beach and uh so you know i was born here and um grew up surfing in coca beach and um yeah it's uh you know my older brothers were always, um, you know, mechanics and my dad was always, you know, working in the garage, um, building all kinds of stuff, you know, um, from hydroplane boats to, you know, my brothers were always souping up engines and souping up Volkswagen engines and outboard, outboard, uh, John boat engines. And they always wanted to, you know, I don't know. It's just a funny fascination of trying to make machines go faster I was never really the mechanic, but I always kind of was into watching what those guys were doing and, and learning, you know, little tidbits here and there. But I always could appreciate the uh, creative side that, you know, my my dad had and, and my brothers. And um, so my brother started making surfboards, you know, out of the garage in Cocoa Beach. And oh, wow. as many people did um, Back in the you know early '70s and you know late '60s in Cocoa Beach, a, a lot of people were making boards out of their backyard, stripping down old longboards and reshaping them into shortboards, and uh, it was kind of just a normal thing. A lot of people did it in around Cocoa Beach, so that's kind of how I got into uh, making my own boards. At like age 13, I made my own first board. So when uh, when was that? Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. 
Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So your brothers introduced you to surfing. Yeah, my brothers introduced me to surfing and uh, and took me surfing a few times. But it's funny enough, um, the first proper surfing lesson that I got was from Pete Hodgson, Flipper. Oh, wow. Um, yes. I mean, you guys know Flipper. I and, know Flipper. Uh, yeah, Pete grew up here in Cocoa Beach, and uh, his brother was dating my sister. And uh, funny enough, I think I was eight years old, and um, they all went to the beach. And, and Pete's brother was like, "Hey, uh, you know, I'm taking you surfing, but part of the deal is you got to teach this little kid how to surf." And so Pete actually gave me a proper first surfing lesson, and uh, you know, he's actually a really good instructor. It kind of helped me quite a bit, but um, it's pretty pretty funny history there. But you guys were pretty pretty involved, like just as as like beachgoers as a family, or you know, you live in Florida. It's always nice weather. Or it's warm. Yeah, like, yeah. Does, does everybody go to the beaches? Is that kind of like your family? Yeah. You know, weekends. Hundred yeah. um, percent. Here in Cocoa Beach, you know, even in the late sixties, you could drive your car on the beach, and uh, everybody would you know come out to watch the launches, watch the space launches, and uh, you know, and then of course. Um, there's a really lot of, of, you know, surfing history going back to, you know, Gary proper. Um, many people regard him as kind of one of the first pro surfers, um, actually making a living from surfing. And he was from Cocoa beach and he became, uh, part of the Hobie team. And, um, you know, interestingly enough, like the Gary proper model was one of the best selling Hobie surfboards ever of all time. Um, but Gary, uh, you know lived just up the street from me and you know i met him when i was like nine or ten years old and um he was stripping down the wax on his longboards in his front yard and you know i didn't know anything i didn't even know anything about you know surfing competitions or or pro surfing and uh yeah i think he was kind of trading in his old longboards and um moving on in that whole kind of shortboard era um but anyhow he, he asked me to help him clean the wax off his boards and so that was my first introduction to Gary proper and uh yeah he kind of he had this makeshift garage that was a uh, slash garage bedroom and all over the walls and in the garage was pictures of Gary proper um 
you know, and uh, it's pretty funny. Spelled out on the wall with black electrical duct tape, it said GP is number one. And, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it had a pretty, uh, pretty big effect on me. I was pretty impressed. That's crazy. But, uh, yeah. And, and he, he was pretty open on like kind of help helping out like the younger kids is like getting involved in surfing. Yeah. You know what? I think Gary, you know, yeah, I think, you know, his family um, were, you know, his brother was a surfer um, and Gary was super respected in the area. Of course I was just so young, but uh, you know, I, I think, um, you know, I, I didn't really know him really very well, but uh, you know, after I kind of learned of him and started looking through the old surfer magazines and seeing pictures of him, then I really kind of, Understood. you know, fit the whole puzzle together and really yeah. realized how big he really was and et cetera. Um, and my, you know, my brothers kind of told me a little bit about him and, um, yeah, Gary, you know, he was, uh, he was a promoter. Um, you know, he signed a contract with Coca-Cola, you know, when, you know, at kind of the height of his career, um, he started entertainment industries. Um, you know, he helped start mutant Ninja turtles. No way. Yeah. Yeah. He's an incredible promoter. If you ever want to look up some information on Gary Proper, um, he got to you know be really close with a lot of rock and roll stars um, through his entertainment business. It was called Phantasma Productions, and he put on concerts you know all over Florida. Um, he was the um, agent for Carrot Top, too. It was pretty classic. So Gary kind of took pro surfing and, and moved on to a whole nother, you know, another scene, but there's incredible stories, um, you know, a history about Gary proper and some of the surfing demonstrations he used to do way back in the early sixties, he would go up the coast and actually do surfing demos, um, for Hobie and, um, you know, in New York city, I'd heard some crazy stories where, um, one time in long beach, he was doing a surfing demo and, uh, helicopter in the middle of the demo came and picked him up and took him to Madison Gardens to watch a Rolling Stones concert. So, wow. That's the kind of guy Gary Proper was. And he, he was he was a big thinker. What's uh, funny is uh sorry to cut you off Matt. He, we actually talked about you know who uh Grog Surf Shop is? Uh Greg Masenko? Yeah. So 100%. We we interviewed him like a couple weeks ago and he he talked about uh, uh, Gary Proper and how he was yeah. like the first freaking you know icon that he, he looked up to and and you know part of the reason why Greg moved down to to Florida was to you know because Proper was down here yeah yeah so. living living the same uh, you know apartment complex and just live lived like you said the whole you know kind of Florida surf Mecca was right based where you're at right there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we had Ron Johns here. Um, and, uh, Cocoa beach was the spot. Like a lot of people moved down here from Virginia beach, um, and New Jersey. And, uh, you know, and then of course with Sebastian inlet and, uh, you know, these guys, these pro surfers, Mike tabling and mm-hmm. with Larry Pope was, you know, an early surfer magazine photographer, and uh greg lower and and some of these guys uh they really kind of put florida on the map and it kind of became a destination for a lot of uh east coast surfers i think you know especially 
if you lived up in the Northeast, you probably wanted to come down here for the warm water. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's definitely a really cool scene here in Cocoa Beach. It was a really great place to grow up. I was really, really lucky to grow up here. And, um, so and then, the, uh, this show is not about Gary proper. This show is about <laughs> Matt yeah, yeah, Cackling. Yeah, yeah. Hundred percent. But uh, just to you know, give a mention about a little bit more history and, and competitive surfing. The Canaveral Pier was is regarded as the third oldest, um, you know, location for the third oldest, you know, competitive pro surfing event in the world. Okay. Um, Bell's Beach is number one. Number two is ECSC in Virginia Beach, and number three is Canaveral Pier um, nice. as the world's oldest, longing, longest pro surfing event. Um, so just to give you a little bit more history on Cocoa Beach and stuff. Yeah, and that's awesome. That, that Canaveral Pier event was a, you know, it was the Easter Fest is what it was. And, um, you know, a lot of traveling pros going way back used to come out here. So, yeah, but moving on. Um, uh, so I was just fortunate growing up here in Cocoa Beach and, and, and the surf scene. Uh, and, uh, you know, that guy, you guys probably had heard a little bit of history about Murph the Surf. Um Masenko might have mentioned a little bit about him, but he he was a surfer from California that bought surf brought surfboard production here to Cocoa Beach and and taught some uh, legendary board builders how to build boards like Gary, like Dick Catree and um, you know and if you do a little bit of history um, look up Murph the Surf he was a, quite a character. Um, I thought know, that was like a Surfer Magazine. Uh character cartoon character well they made a movie of him he actually um you know got involved in the theft ring he stole the star of india from a museum in new york no way (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. it um it's the most uh you know expensive jewel in the world like still today the star of india and uh he pulled it off uh, and heisted this jewel like right in the middle of daylight underneath, you know, um, you know, security and cams. But, uh, my brother knew him, my oldest brother, John and, uh, and Murph the surf used to make build surfboards right up in these cabanas just up the road from my house in Cocoa Beach. So pretty wild stuff. So what was your first surfboard? Like, was it a hand-me-down or did you, you know, get it from your brother or one of these, yeah, uh, you know, Gary? It was a, hand, it was a hand-me-down, uh, an Oceanside spoiler. And uh, it was like approximately like a six, all right, seven foot six, like egg-shaped sort of board with uh, like a Lexan fin and um, pretty difficult board to, uh, to progress on. But it was good enough, um, you know, to learn how to surf. But like I said, I, I really... Uh, I didn't really start progressing until Pete Hodgson kind of gave me a proper surf lesson, you know? Nice. Nice. So is that, is that from like eight, you stuck on that, that egg shape six, was it six, six or so like for, for a few months or like a year? Or yeah, did, I think maybe, maybe just like a year. Um, my second board was a plastic, fantastic um, plastic yes. board that my mom bought bought me and it was a molded product um that i got from surfing world is mike tabling surf shop and uh it was you know back then you couldn't find ground boards there was just no such thing as like a little kid board and right um and then my third board was actually a dick brewer knee board so it was funny like you know if you could find try to find anything you know relative to your size it was pretty much a knee board um and kind of it's funny because knee boarding was 
was kind of a thing too that people did. Um, yeah. It was pretty popular in the you know late '60s, um, early '70s, and then uh, you know my brother started making surfboards, and you know, and then it, that was kind of really a bell went off. Like, wow, now I can kind of make exactly what I want, and so I kind of started doing that and making my own boards, and they were horrendous, um, but you know, <laughs> yeah. But they rode okay, and uh, and then uh, there's these two twin brothers that moved to Cocoa Beach from Bradenton. They were part of the Weber surf team. Um, his name was Richard Salick and Phil Salick. These guys were twins, and uh, lucky for me and a lot of the kids in our town here in Cocoa Beach, these guys started the Carson Salick um, surf team, and it was comprised of uh, Bob Carson, who was a pretty legendary shaper, and... Uh, they started a really great surf team um, on Third Street, which was just you know, a stone's throw from my house. And I, I went up there one time and was showing off my homemade, you know, piece of junk surfboard that I'd made. And um, those guys were really nice and, you know, looking it over. And um, we got to surfing together, you know, shortly after. And they asked me to become part of their team. And, and uh, I was just thrilled. You know, I had no idea really. Um, that there really were surf teams and, you know, what does that mean? You know, et cetera. And, uh, so they brought me on board and, um, I recognized, you know, by riding a really quality, you know, custom board, it was definitely going to help my, my surfing even more. So I started riding Bob Carson shapes and, um, the Salick brothers, um, they started the national kidney foundation, um, team challenge. Richard lost a kidney, um, at a, at a relatively young age and his brother Phil donated his kidney to him. And, um, so they teamed up with the national kidney foundation. They started putting on surf contests still to this day. It's the largest, um, charitable surf event in the world. It's pretty, wow. pretty cool. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. That's huge. Yeah. It started out as just like a team challenge with, where all these different surf shops from up and down the East coast, all kind of, you know, brought their teams together and competed. And, uh, the very, very first one that they put together, um, right there at the end of the street at third street North, um, which is actually the, it's called Slater way, right? That's, it was a street named after Kelly now. And, uh, you know, Kelly, you know, we all surfed at the end of the street. Um, there was this burger joint called the Islander hut and, uh, Kelly's mom used to flip burgers there and work there. And, you know, the, the Apollo building was right next door. It was a space, um, you know, this is Apollo project. And it was just this like four story shell of a building that, you know, the Apollo project, um, after they finished it, they just left this shell of a building and there was this big parking lot in the back of it and everybody just hung out. And so everybody in and around Cocoa beach, Merritt Island, Orlando, used to drive their cars and it was kind of like the, you know, the Malibu little tailgate party. You just, yeah. You just pull up and watch surfing, hang out, you know, uh, a lot of older people drinking beers and, you know, and so it was a full scene. Right. And, uh, sounds amazing. Yeah. Coincidentally, (laughs) there was a lot of really good surfers that surfed there. So kind of, you know, seeing all these good surfers from all around hanging out and surfing there kind of rubbed off on me and, I think eventually that sort of started rubbing off on Kelly and Sean too. Um, so anyhow, you know, the Salick brothers, 
really looked out for a lot of us uh, kids in Cocoa Beach and kept us in line and, you know, um, kind of showed us the path of, you know, competitive surfing and, uh, you know, got us on good boards. They actually sponsored Kelly too. So um, did, did that, did that club, um, sorry to interrupt. Did that club like put together like tees? You guys have like a logo. Did you guys help travel up and down the coast to events? How, how tight was the crew? Yeah, it was, it was a tight crew. You know, Richard was such, he was so generous, um, you know, and with the surf shop and he had a really quite a big team and I think he was flowing, you know, too much product out of the store and, and hooking up people with too good of deal. I think it ended up kind of being his demise because he was just so nice and so giving that, you know, his store wasn't really as profitable as it really needed to be, you know. What, but, what was uh, the shop called, Matt? It was called Karsten Salix Surf Shop. Okay. And, uh, yeah, and uh, it was really, really a really cool uh, opportunity for me and kind of was my first introduction to, you know, what a surf team was. And, uh, and I can't thank those guys enough. Richard passed, uh, about seven years ago, but he was an incredible guy. Um, he actually, uh, you know, there's so much history here, but he competed in a world contest at Oceanside and, uh, he beat Mike Henson. Richard said wow. did. It, it turned into a pretty big scene. They almost got in a brawl. Those guys. There's a <laughs> there's a photo on the internet of Richard. Who, Richard looks like a giant linebacker from a football team, right? And uh, him and and Hanson are like poking each other in the chest. This photo is pretty intense. Wow, we got to find that. We got to get that. <laughs> What's up? Yeah, yeah. It's competitive juice is flowing. This photo, you see it, you're like, whoa, dude, like heavy. So how, how old were you when they put you on the team? Yeah, I was 13 okay. at the time. So, And you know. you'd already started surfing uh, the, the amateur contest? Yeah, I was just starting to dabble in, in uh, entering the Easter Fest at, at Canaveral Pier. And then shortly after, I started doing some of the ESA competitions. And, um, you know, the pro surf scene, you know, and the whole sort of uh, high-performance shortboard era – you know, was still, was kind of just coming into play. You know, we were all still riding single fins. Um, and then shortly, shortly after kind of the rocket fish kind of made this resurgence. Um, but those things rode pretty horrible. Um, and, uh, and this was still, you know, well before that MR sort of high performance twin fin came in. Um, but, uh, so, I was kind of confused, like, you know, there's like, there's all these different influences. Am I still there, you guys? Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay, cool. Um, there's all these different influences in surfing still. There's like guys like David Nueva that were still riding longboards. Um, and then there's these, you know, there was guys riding like the twin fin, less, you know, the Steve, Steve Less, less. Yeah. style fish. Um and there was, you know, so it's kind of a confusing time in surfboard design. Um, but uh, anyhow, I was, you know, I was pretty fortunate to get hooked up with those guys. I was kind of into nose riding and stuff. I was kind of really inspired by David Nueva. And so those early days, I was kind of, you know, like hanging five and, and doing nose rides, et cetera. And uh, just starting to learn to use my rail and, and uh, you know, and then um, there's a couple guys on the Salic team. There's. Greg Taylor and Tony Graham and these guys were 
um, ESA, you know, Greg was an ESA champion. So his surfing started really kind of rubbing off on me and, and surfing with him um, and kind of getting vertical. Greg was mimicking what Greg Lohr was doing at the time, which was real kind of vertical, straight up and down approach, sticking the board up at 12 o'clock noon and, and pivoting back, you know, and I thought that was really cool. So I really started, you know, changing my focus and kind of doing what Greg Taylor was doing and, and got inspired by what Greg Lohr was doing. Um, so through, uh, you know, the Salic contest, I started seeing uh, this other team. It was called the Ocean Avenue Surf Team, and that was comprised of, of Lewis Graves, um, who was the owner. That's the late Lewis Graves. That's Dylan Graves' father. Oh wow! And um, Bruce Walker, who was he had a skateboard company, um, and these guys were had their own surf shop called Ocean Avenue. It was on Ocean Avenue in Melbourne Beach, and um, they had guys like Jeff Klugel, Greg Mungle. And all these guys that were pretty established, you know, surfers and U.S. champions. And I recognized um, they had a super progressive team and, and a really progressive thing going on with the skateboarding and surfing all under one surf shop. Um, they had, you know, um, after I'd gotten so I decided I wanted to become, you know, I wanted to team up with those guys also because I got... I got turned on to uh, Sebastian Inlet. Richard Salick brought me to Sebastian Inlet. I realized this wave is way better than anything in and around Cocoa Beach. And if I really want to um, excel with my surfing, I, I need to get to Sebastian. It was, you know, wedgy peaks up and down the beach and all these pros hanging out. And uh, the surfing level was, was way above and beyond anything, you know, in and around Cocoa Beach. And, so, so uh, Keckley, you know, I got that. Yeah, go ahead. Let, let me let me go backtrack a little bit. So, it was funny you mentioned how you were you were into like nose riding and and more traditional kind of surfing, at and surfing was changing, kind of you know when you were uh, just getting into it and getting better at it, right? Like, yeah, yeah. The shortboard revolution was kind of you know, happening. And it's funny because you, you talk about, you know, kneeboards that are really modern day, you know, twin fin, Mark Richards, right? And and how surfing started changing. And instead of uh, nose riding and, and like gliding, it's more, you know, radical and, and like up and down vertical, ver vertical type surfing, right? Yeah. So totally. Greg Lowe. Yeah, go ahead. No, no, no. You go ahead. Yeah, so Greg Lower um, was also the shaper of Ocean Avenue, and Greg was a, an established um, pro surfer. He was all over the magazines. Um, I remember. Doing his vertical, I remember seeing him. His vertical approach, um, you know, and again, you know, single fins at that time, they were, you know, I mean, you know, I don't know how often you guys have tried tried single fins, but it's they just suck. a different animal. You know, they, yeah, <laughs> they're hard to get. They're hard to get going really fast. They're, they're, you know, you can do some basic things on them, but, you know, but they are yeah, pretty you're, good. You're limited. Vertical on. You can kind of do that pivot and throw it up at 12 o'clock. And Greg Lohr was, was pretty much, you know, one of the best guys at that. You guys kind of had Dan Flecky um, out there in and around Newport. 
Newport that was kind of doing that sort of surfing too. Yeah. Um, but anyhow, Greg was an incredible shaper too. I recognize his boards were really progressive too. And so, and then, you know, with the skateboard thing that was going on at Ocean Avenue and Jeff Klugel and being that it was like, you know, Cocoa Beach is, you know, a good 50, 50 minute drive from Sebastian. So I knew like if I can get teamed up with Ocean Avenue, you know, maybe I could get a job there and I'm that much closer. I'm halfway to Sebastian Inlet. Like I literally, I used to like hitchhike, you know, from Cocoa Beach, even at, you know, 12, 13, 14 years old. Actually, I started hitchhiking around 14, 15 years old. I'd hitch, you know, hitch a ride at Sebastian, you know, and, uh, you know, it's amazing that my mom would let me do that sort of thing. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, I just, so, I, you know, I started, you know, recognizing like i just got to get to the inlet it's just it's way better the the waves are magnified even on a small day the, the inlet you know the wedges are you know it's it Had picks up the swell side yeah more energy etc and uh so i got to know jeff klugel um i had to you know i had to break clean and and uh and tell richard salick which was one of the hardest things ever i told him i have i really want to be a part of this ocean avenue surf team those guys invited me to be a part of it. And so, you know, I got to rub and elbows with Jeff Klugel and, and, uh, I got a job in the distribution and pack and ship of, of shipping out the skateboards for Bruce Walker. Um, and at that time, you know, skateboarding was just starting to take off. You guys, so uh, hold, hold on a second. So that was your first job in the industry. Yeah, that was my, my first job in the, in the surfing industry. Yeah, and, and, and you were 14. Um, I think I was 14 or 15 years old. Yeah, 15, I think, maybe. That's radical, that dude. That's insane. Yeah, I, and, yeah, uh, yeah I, I was, and it was like 50 minutes away from Cocoa Beach? Yeah, it, like Melbourne Beach, Ocean Avenue was, uh, was you know, 20, 25-minute drive from Cocoa Beach. Um, and uh, so, yeah. You know, I'd get rides down there. My mom would give me rides, um, you know, and when I was 16, I got a car and um, was driving down there. My first car was like a $150 Toyota Corolla. <laughs> it had wheels and it went. That's all yeah, it went. I put 17,000 miles on that car and it got me to the inlet plenty of times. But, um, but yeah, it just... The Ocean Avenue thing, it was kind of like the East Coast version of, of Z-Boys. They really had it. They had this pro skate team. They had these incredible pro surfers. Um, There's just this infectious energy of, uh, you know, and creative energy. The surfboard factory was right behind the surf shop. So it was, you know, just That's as fast so cool. as you could get for a surf shop. And Greg Lower, at the, in those days, he was shaping like 50 boards a week. It was just jamming. And, uh, and Bruce, you know, the skateboard team was taken off. And as you guys know, it was like, you know, urethane wheels were just starting to come into play. Um, so all this stuff was coming and happening at that same time. Yeah. And, um, that's a good, that's a good analogy for, that's a great analogy for us. The Z, you know, the, the Z Dogtown Z boy, um, comparison for, for East coast. Now, yeah. were you a skateboarder that, too? Yeah, I skateboarded. I wasn't on the. I wasn't good enough to be on the Walker skate team. 
But I got to rub and elbows with some of these guys. Rodney Mullen was, uh, and you guys know Rodney Mullen, yeah. the best freestyle skater ever. He was on the Walker skate team. There was Mark Lake. There was Mike McGill. What? Um, was that? Yeah. Yeah. Some of these guys had their Walker skateboard model. Um, and Bruce was a really, really great businessman, too. Um, I was trying to think of some of the other, you know, skateboard models. Were those guys? Were those guys at o- Ocean Avenue? Were like, were they like always looking out for the young, or were were they partying? Were they letting you guys like, you know, were they keeping an eye on you guys, keeping you out yeah, of trouble? Yeah, totally. They're keeping us in line, and um, you know, and you know, sure, everybody was partying. You know, I mean, it's the early seventies and eighties, right? Um, but but uh, as, you know, fourteen, fifteen, hanging out with guys twenty. I mean, they seem like men, guys that are even older than that. I mean, I, I, we grew up same thing, you know, down and yeah. I mean, the surf shops was where we lived, and sure. uh, those guys yeah. are always yeah good to have a good crew, making sure you're surfing, staying out of trouble, yeah, giving you a job, yeah, Tell, totally, telling you totally. telling you to go to the liquor store to buy some cigarettes and beers. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I, you know, I was, I was definitely always mindful of that, and I think I was, I was fortunate enough to learn from my older brothers. Um, you know, and through their mistakes and, and kind of recognize like, you know, no, I'm not going to make those same mistakes, you know? Good for you. Um, and, uh, so I just kind of was always pretty wise to that whole party scene and, and keeping my nose, you know, out of that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, you know, the ocean Avenue thing, like just to give you an idea too, like of how progressive they were, like, um, I've heard other people say like Lewis Graves was one of the first guys in the industry to come up with, uh, with photo incentive, right. And contest incentives for surfing. Wow. And, uh, I believe it's probably true. Um, so when I got on board, you know, we had, we had photo incentive, we had contest incentives and it was all performance based and, and it was incredible. Uh, and made you hustle. Yeah. And at that same time, we started getting some of these Florida pros, um that were happening at sebastian inlet this was the early ips days um you know rabbit and dane kialoa larry bertelman reno some of these guys were coming for these early pro events at sebastian inlet and um so you know yeah it was you know just to catch wind that these guys are coming to the inlet too for me that was like it's it really inspired me and we had like some eight millimeter footage that was kind of being shown around town, you know, the eight millimeters, the, the teeny little dinky rolls of film that you have to, you know, put in these projectors, right. And, yeah. uh, you know, put them on a wall and then you, you know, put on the, the LP and turn on your stereo and, you know, watch, watch a surf movie and, and listen to surf, you know, surf music or whatever. That was about as close to a, a local surf film as we could get. Right. And, uh, so there was all this footage of, you know, California pros and, some of the Hawaiians, you know, surfing at Sebastian Inlet. And that was always super inspiring to us. And, um, but, you know, like going back to the whole surf skate thing that Ocean Avenue had, you know, Bruce Walker, um, you know, skate parks were, you know, starting to pop up all around Florida. Um, and there was all this, you know, incredible energy. And, and for me, it was, it was super simple and kind of connecting the dots, like, Sebastian Inlet was like a skate park, um, hanging out with Bruce Walker. He was always, he's super descriptive. Bruce, you know, used to be, he he was an incredible coach at skateboarding. 
was also a great coach for surfing too. Um, he was, he was a coach for the world team, the USA world team in England. Um, when Kelly got third place and, um, I forgot how some of the other surfers had done, um, from the U S but so Bruce's background was, you know, very involved in surfing and skating. And he was just very, very, uh, descriptive with his language and explaining the different skateboard maneuvers and, he started, he was always kind of keeping us up to date at what some of the latest skate, he was going to all the skate competitions and kind of describing, you know, there was so much progression going on in skating, you guys. I mean, yeah, for sure. every day there was a new maneuver being, you know, being, you know, brought into the scene and he was given a name. And so Bruce started explaining to me about Alan Galpan, this kid from Hollywood, Florida, doing the ollies. And uh, he's from Florida. You know, yeah, he's from yeah Hollywood, Florida. Wow, Alan Paul fan, and he started skating at this skate park in Hollywood, Florida. It was called Skate USA. It was kind of a hokey park, but it had some you know some okay transitions, and, and uh, so that's where he kind of learned to do the ollies and, and kind of transitioning in the air. And so Bruce was explaining that to me. Yeah, there's this new maneuver. Da, 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 da. This guy's doing this air without grabbing the rail and kind of transitioning in the air and redirecting his board, you know, back down the, you know, the, the transition, the uh, the transition. And I was like, like, light bulb went off on that same day. I'm like, I'm doing that. Like, you know, (laughs) uh, yeah, you're you're skate park and the the surf. I mean, they mirror each other in in ways. Yeah. We, we were always, you know, the, the ocean Avenue, they had this van and we'd pile the team in the van and there'd just be all this energy um heading to the inlet it's like a 15 minute drive to the inlet and guys would just be you know frothing to you know get out of this van and and uh take this energy out into the water and you know the progression was incredible jeff klugel and mongol those guys were some of the first guys that that i saw like with the early twin fins um there was this guy it's a kind of a long-winded story that one of mark richard one of, yeah, one of Mark Richards' shapers is like, yeah, can you hear me okay? Yeah. Yeah. Some feedback. Got a little echo. So Mark Richards' shapers? Yeah. Yeah, there was one of Mark Richards' shaper. This guy from Australia, his name was Daryl Bolger. He came to town and uh, brought one of his MR-style twin things. Like, I think it was like early 79 or um, anyhow. He showed it off to Greg Lower, and this board was super progressive. And Greg was right into the shape and play, making that same design and, and getting that same twin fin placement. Linden. So, fine. yeah, this this cat named Daryl Bolger brought that twin fin design, that MR style 20, and uh, it inspired Greg Lower. He started making that same style twin fin, and right away, Jeff Klugel got on one, Mungle got on one. I got on one shortly after, you know. Back then, you know, if you got a new board, you usually keep it maybe a year or something, you know, and not, it's not like the, the competitive surfers nowadays where they're getting a new board every three weeks or so, you know, and so anyhow, I was probably one of the last guys to get on one of those, those style twin fins, but um, I started recognizing Klugel was doing things on the wave and Mongol, they were like taking a whole nother approach and grinding on the lip of the wave, you know, and, huh. and uh for me, it was super inspiring. I was like, whoa, he's skateboarding on the wave, you know? That's awesome. And uh, thins out and 
totally different approach to the single fin kind of pivoting. And so tell <laughs> us, uh, tell us about, uh, your, your young amateur, uh, surfing contests. Like how, how are you doing? Yes. Were they just in Florida or you go all the way up and down the East coast? Yeah. So we started competing and, um, uh, when I got on the ocean Avenue team, part of the annual, um, surf trip was taking us up to Hatters in the ocean Avenue van and competing in the USA championships in Cape Hatters. And they used to have the USA championships too. And so I started, uh, you know, getting some okay results, like third in the East coast championships. I surfed in kneeboard too. It's funny enough, uh, you know, it's a kneeboard just to get barreled, right? In Hatters, it didn't even matter. <laughs> because we were getting barreled, we were kneeboarding. West Lane used to kneeboard. So that like Wes and awesome. I would end up in finals. It's super funny. It's classic. That's actually well. well Lambrizi used to used to boogie board. What's that? <laughs> Lambrizi. Mike Lambrizi used to do all the boogie board contests. No doubt. I know. I watched him pass me up in the world world ratings like overnight almost. <laughs> <laughs> Came out of nowhere. I was like, "Who's this boogie boarder guy?" And all of a sudden, he just started smoking us off. <laughs> so, so uh, Keck. Okay. You, you started surfing yeah. contests? Yeah, I was winning quite a few amateur events. Enlighten us more about your amateur Grom career. Yeah, um, you know, uh, I did okay. My ambitions were, were, were higher than, you know, like I always had a goal. I wanted to win that East Coast Championships really bad. Um, I wanted to win those U.S. US championships. I made uh, finals, you know, a few times. And then I think the U.S. championships, I don't know. I can't remember. I think I just came short of the final. I think I got second or third in the U.S. kneeboard championships. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, um, so, but uh, Pat Mulhern was a guy, uh, you guys, I'm sure Jay's heard of Pat Mulhern. Yeah. He, he was the, the young up-and-coming pro in our area that was like, um, was doing really well in the ESA um, competitions. His dad was a surfboard builder. They had a surf shop here in town. His dad was from California, and he came back east. His dad used to glass surfboards for Takayama, came back east, started making surfboards here, and his son became pretty much the, the best kid on the East Coast. Um, I started competing against Pat in the ESA, Pat Mulhern, and uh, – you know, um, he was an incredible surfer. He was like at a whole nother level. And then, uh, it just, it just kept challenging me. And, and then finally I beat him and I didn't really realize how big he was in surfing. Um, and that he was already doing some pro events until I, I saw him on uh, wide world of sports on ABC. Wow. He made that. That's yeah. Sick. And he was in uh, this team challenge. It was the, uh, it was at Sunset Beach. Um, I think it was called the Jatson uh, U.S. Team Challenge. Or I don't know, something like that. And he was uh, surfing with Beaver Massefeller um, in this team event. And, uh, yeah, it was on Wide World Sports. But anyhow, um, he's doing laybacks at Sunset Beach and stuff. And, wow. And it, me super inspired i was just like whoa like this guy's like big time you know and this is the guy that you know i was surfed in the esa actually beat him 
and here he's surfing pro events. And so it really got me kind of inspired to start wanting to enter pro events too. And, um, so yep. shortly after I started, you know, entering some pro events and, um, so the Easter fest was the big local pro event here in town. And I started doing pretty good in those, like getting some thirds, um, and rabbit rabbit used to come and, uh, it was usually Pat Mulhern and rabbit in the finals um, huh. guys were dueling. How, and, how, how uh, much older was Pat Mulhern to you? Mulhern's only a year or two older than me. So, okay. um, yeah, so he was like, he was, and this is what you guys were like 16, 17. Yeah. I think Pat was 17. He was already doing pro events. Um, and, uh, so yeah, I, I, right away, I, you know, I started doing some pro events and then I think I got third in a new Smyrna event. And it was like, at that time you really kind of had to make up your mind. Are you going to keep the cash or, you know, are you going to stay amateur? It was kind of like you had to decide. I was like, I had a thousand bucks sitting in front of me. I was like, I'm ready to turn pro. Like no way. I'm that <laughs> Heck <cash> yeah. <laughs> you know? um, that, that's kind of what that's Richie, than- Richie Collins was saying too, right? Yeah, yeah. You made more in that event than you did working at the surf shop for a month. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, for real. So and uh, and Pat was just super progressive, and and his surfing was always super inspiring to us. And uh, so he, him, and I kind of got a bit of a little rivalry going back here, and and kind of dueling at the events. And uh, ironically enough, it's pretty funny. It got to be kind of a a weird situation. Pat was dating this one girl and I started dating her twin sister. So we had this rivalry going and then we had these, uh, twin, twin girls that we were dating separately. So it was kind of odd, um, kind of weird, weird scenario. But, uh, so anyhow, yeah, Pat was kind of the international guy here that was already kind of made a name for himself on the international scene. And, um, and, uh, so it was a few years later, um, the stubbies rolled to town in 1980. Um, well, before we go to, before you go to stubbies, I want to ask you about your first, uh, I know that ocean Avenue was your kind of your second sponsor, right? Who was your first like clothing or wetsuit sponsors? Yeah. My first clothing sponsor was this guy out of Miami. He was, uh, doing these kind of knockoff quicksilvers. And it was called Ripwear, and uh, Ripwear, yeah, Ripwear, and uh, he was doing these board shorts that were really close to, uh, you know, Quicksilver. It kind of had a scallop leg, and uh, I was like, "Whoa, these are, you know, they were really, they were really cheaply made, but they were okay." And uh, so he, they approached the Ocean Avenue guys, Lewis Graves, and said, "Hey, you know, we want to sponsor some of your team guys." Da 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 da. So I got on board with them, and. I think I got like one like advertisement and a couple of local magazines here with them. And, um, yeah. You remember your first like mag shot or, or, or ad you've, you yeah. know, company used you in? Yeah. My first mag shot was in that wave rider magazine, um, that Bob McKnight was talking about that, uh, it was pretty classic that, um, the, the brothers like, that, uh, that forced yeah, them into brothers, advertising. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Griffin brothers and, and Gunner Griffin. And uh, they opened an office right down the street from my house in Cocoa Beach. It's called Wave Rider Magazine. And they put out a, they probably put out about 30 issues or something over like a 
five-year period or something, you know. Um, but, yeah, my first shot was, like, just a nose-riding shot in that magazine. And then my first, like, international uh, photo was in Surfer Magazine from a trip. I, my first surf, surf trip, I went to Dominican Republic in 1980. And uh, I got, like, a almost a two-page spread doing, like, a layback. Sick. Nice. Yeah. So who was on that trip? Um, Daryl Jones was a staff photographer for Surfer. And then uh, Buddy Pelletier, um, who was a pro from North Carolina. And then uh, Edwin Santos from Puerto Rico. Yeah, was I remember down that guy. There a few days before I got down there. And uh, that, was re- that was really cool. The Dominican back then was, it was amazing. It was, you know, there's lots of good waves. It's, it's quite a little wave treasure. Um, but the surf spot, that's kind of a popular surf spot. Now it's called Encuentro. When we rolled into Encuentro, there was a whole village of naked people um, that uh, <laughs> was wild. They were all chasing their car and stuff. It was pretty wild, you know. Um, you know I was just, uh, yeah, I don't know, what was I, 17, 16, 17 years old, I guess. Um, that's crazy. Like, welcome to the Dominican Republic where yeah, they yeah, run yeah. naked. But it was cool, and there was no, there was only like one or two surfers like on the whole island at that time. Um, wow, it was pretty wild, you know. But you heard about that place prior. I mean, you probably had friends and people that have been on surf trips. So you you knew yeah. the waves were were going to be firing if you're going. Yeah, yeah. We, we didn't really know quite. We knew a few of the surf spots through Edwin Santos. He had been there a few times, I think, and. Uh, but it was kind of mostly just kind of free flowing, looking around for waves, and um, and we found a few waves. And then I went back years later, and I found you know way more waves that were right under our nose that we just didn't even know about. You know, yeah. There was just no access to to them back then. There was no you know car roads to get out to the surf breaks. It was just jungle. You know. So was that your first like official surf trip? Was to yeah, Dominican? that was my first you know international surf trip out of, out of the country. Yeah. So at 16, you were like doing, starting to do pro events. You started traveling. You were sponsored. Like it was like game on. Were your parents like tripping? Like, hey, you know, you're not following the engineer route. You're just going to be a surfer. Were they tripping at 16 for you? Yeah, they were kind of unsure. But, you know, when I brought that $1,000 home, my dad <laughs> was kind of like, he was pretty stoked. And, and then, uh, you know, shortly after I started making more prize money and, uh, you know, and then, of course, working in the industry, too. I think he was pretty happy to see me working. Um, and then, you know, my parents were never those kind of parents that went down to the surf contest. I think only one time ever they went to one of my events that I was in, and I didn't do very well. Um, I think I was almost embarrassed that, you know, they're kind of seeing some of the riffraff that went on with surfing. Yeah. And uh, I don't know maybe in the back of my head. Um, but I just didn't really perform that well in front of them. So they stopped going to the events, you know, and, uh, oh. and I was fine with that too. I, you know, um, Not sure. yeah. What's that? yeah, I don't know. I don't know exactly what it was, but, um, but I think they were pretty stoked and they, they gave me a little incentive to, uh, you know, if I graduated from Cocoa beach high school, they were going to send me to Hawaii for my first winter trip. And wow. That was, in, that was 1980. So, that was an awesome little incentive for me to continue to do pretty good in school and graduate, you know? So, nice. so after Ripware, what, 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 what was your next sponsor? 
Yeah, then Sundeck came on board and started sponsoring some of the Ocean Avenue guys. And Sundeck was a pretty big brand back then. They yeah. sponsored uh, Ken Bradshaw and Mark Fu. Um, Where was Sundeck and- from? Sundeck was from here in Melbourne. Okay. Um, really? Local yeah. local brand. Yeah. Because Sundeck was definitely a, a, a pretty decent-sized brand. Or it had a lot of notor- notoriety, right? Yeah, it, it really did. Um, McKnight actually told me, it, you know, when they first kind of entered, um, you know, with their brand here in the U.S., you know, Sundeck was their main competitor, you know? Yeah. Uh, um, and, uh, and they were big back here. Um, Pete Hodgson was managing the surf team actually. And, uh, they were, you know, they were pretty progressive, real supportive of their surf team. And they had skate team going on too. They had Rodney Mullen on board. Um, wow. as Richie mentioned, you guys, we got Richie Collins on board at one time too. So who owned it? Who started Sunday? Yeah, Bill Yerkes was the guy that started it. Um, he was a surfer from up in uh, ocean city, Maryland. And he came down here in the sixties and, um started learning you know he used to make surf films um old longboard surf films and run up and down the coast and uh and show off some surf movies here um you know back in the 60s and stuff and then he started his own you know company surfwear company sundeck and started getting the fabric stone in ohio actually um and yeah it grew to be an international brand and he had it going on and supported us to go on surf trips and the ocean Avenue team was kind of a, his focus, I think where he recognized also like these guys got a really progressive team. So he started sponsoring all the pros that were on the ocean Avenue team and, uh, and a few other pros from, you know, some other areas. Yeah. Um, so is that who you turn pro with? Um, yeah, I believe, uh, I believe I may have turned pro before I got on board with Sundeck. Um, and, uh, but I was, I was really lucky to, you know, align with those guys. Those guys kind of started doing advertisements with us, you know, right away. And, um, and that was thanks to Lewis Graves kind of helped set that all up, you know, Dylan Graves father. Yeah. That's so amazing. That, that was pretty cool. And they were, you know, they were doing, you know, double page spreads and almost every issue surfer, surfing um and uh when um yeah so that was cool it went on for a while and then um he kind of ran into some issues i think the economy took a downturn and uh he was factored um you know i think you know if you know about being factored it's it's like the bank gives you a a bank note um yeah. and you got to pay it you know within 60 days or something and i think he got overextended and got himself into some trouble That's apparently a and so um but he helped that me happens, man. yeah so we're kind of jumping fast forward but um so you know after i uh ocean avenue what happened with ocean avenue is i think i was uh I think it was shortly after I came home from Australia, the their factory burned down. Um, yeah, it caught fire, burned down, and uh, for me, it was like that. It was over. Like everything was over. I was just like, um, you know, because it was just so much a part of my life at that time, and and just all the energy that came with it, and the coaching, and yeah. and the direction that I was getting from Lewis and Bruce, and 
And, uh, and I was just like, oh, sh-, you know, I, I was, I was tripping out, like, you know, literally in tears wondering like what, what now, you know? And, um, so I, I kind of hung in there for almost like, you know, almost a year. Bruce was trying to get some insurance money, um, for the factory and, you know, they had to close the store and then they were going to try to get it reopened and, um, the insurance money wasn't coming through. And so quiet flight approached me, um, to come on board and start, you know, shaping for them. And, uh, so I came on board with them and, um, you know, Ed Leisure, who, uh, was a really, you know, they had a pretty progressive thing going. They had Richard Munson, who was a pretty well-known shaper also, um, really, really talented shaper. And Ed Leisure himself, um, the owner of Quiet Flight, him and his brother, those guys were down here from Maryland, and they moved to Cocoa Beach and started the Quiet Flight brand. Jay knows quite a bit about it. It became really big, and Billabong, you know, years later, bought the Quiet Flight brand and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, really big. So so when you, when you went to Australia, was that when you, you won the stubbies and got that ticket um, over there? Yeah. Yeah. So I, tell us about that stubbies win. Yeah. Yeah. That was incredible. Um, that, that event was a six day event at Sebastian and, uh, Bill Bowman came to town from Australia. Um, he teamed up with Dickatree and the Griffin brothers, the Griffin brothers, already had their own circuit. It was called the American professional surfers. Um, and they had a little mini circuit going on here and they were the guys that started the Florida pro. So they teamed up with the guys at stubbies and they brought this, you know, surf trials to Sebastian and first and second place was going to get a ticket to Australia. And, uh, I, uh, the waves were pumping throughout the whole six day period. Just like, it was incredible. It was, um, just you know well overhead glassy every single day um what time of year summertime yeah it was uh september and uh yeah i don't know it was just some kind of low that formed off the coast i don't even think it was tropical and um yeah it just sent this abundance of swell to for the competition throughout the whole six-day period and so it was an international uh, contest then right like a lot of people yeah mostly yeah just all east coast surfers and then some surfers from the caribbean okay and then uh, as jay probably you know knows there was the california trials and then i think they even had stubbies in hawaii so it was like a trials and if they took the top two placers and they got a ticket to australia to uh go and compete in the ips um at burley heads for the stubbies pro at burley and uh so pat mulhern and i both got um in the finals and we went best two out of three um, for the finals, and I ended up beating Pat just by a couple Ew. tenths. Sick. Really I love the, the best two out of three, too. Yeah, like that, yeah it was pretty epic. Um, you know, what, were you listen up, WSL. Let's get some two out of three going for some of these. Yeah, uh, yeah, right. Events. I know, definitely. You want to see some grudge matches, man. You get that sort of thing going, and, and uh, you know. Yeah, get, get people their money's worth, man. Let's yeah, do this. I know. It's pretty fun. So were you like riding that. for uh, Rip? Yeah, where, that was or? yeah, that was 1980, and uh, I had gotten on board just just um, previously with Sundeck. So I'd just gotten on board with Sundeck. Got it. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so I won that event and got that ticket the following year to compete 
in the Stubby's Pro at Burley in 1982. And uh, that was really cool because uh, it was Joey Baran and Chris Barella that won at Trestles. And so right. it was Mulhern um, and I and Joey Baran and Chris Barella all shacked up at the uh, Burley Tower staying together, you know, in Australia. And we were all psyching to be in that event. And so and Joey, Joey was Pat was a Mulhern really a regular guy. foot or goofy? Yeah, Pat's a, re- a regular foot. And, yeah, three uh, goofies and a regular foot, huh? Yeah, yeah, three goofies and, and a regular. And um, and Joey was super inspiring to me. Um, he was already really pretty big. He was a California kid, you yeah. know, and uh, yeah. really big on the California scene. And, Did he already win pipe? No, he didn't win pipe yet. Okay. Uh, but he was definitely, you know, um, a big name in California already. And, yeah. uh and uh, he was definitely, uh, it was kind of like the young crew at that time was like, you know, we're in the world surf scene was kind of like Joey, Pat Mulhern, Tommy Carroll. Um, it was like Louis Ferreira from Hawaii and, uh, and like Randall Kim maybe or uh, trying to think I'm leaving somebody out. But those were kind of like the on the world kind of the Grom stage like those were the. You know, up and comers, like yeah. just making the break. Yeah, the, the new upstarts that were really kind of ready to kind of break on the international scene. And uh, so, anyhow, yeah, it was just an honor to get to meet Joey and, and hang out with those guys and learn from those guys too. The that- Stubbies Pro, I didn't do that well. I think I made it through a round or two. A round or two. Um, my boards, you know, I don't know. I think I don't think my boards were quite up to par for for burly heads and. Uh, and you were still shaping your boards, right? No, I was still on a Greg Lower shape at that time. Okay. And uh, but I just wasn't really super stoked on the boards. The fins weren't great. I was using these freestyle fins, and um, I don't know. There's just my boards weren't great. And and uh, you know, I went down to Bell's, competed that year. The waves were incredible. I did pretty good at Bell's. I, I made it through the trials at Bell's. And, um, and it was pretty huge. It was the year after Simon, you know, introduced the thruster. Um, yeah. How was that transition? What, what age were you and where were you at when you, when you swapped, you know, from a, you know, probably a twin to a, a thruster? Yeah. The, the thrusters for me in those early days, like they were, um, I don't know, the fin, the back fin was pretty far back. Um, you needed to have pretty strong legs, I think, to really surf those boards proper back then, uh, the fin placements were kind of different and uh, to what they really, did. really straight, really fast, but they didn't pivot very well. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. They sure worked good for Simon and, and uh, you know, and it was super inspiring to see Simon win at pipeline on a thruster. You know, I gave them a good go. I, I teamed up with the guy, Daryl Bolger, the guy that came to Florida and introduced us to the high performance twenties. And I stayed with him on the Gold Coast, and I had Bolger make me a, a thruster, a proper thruster, and uh, and he made Barella a, th- a thruster too. And it was, you know, at that time it was it was a proper thruster, you know, really along the lines of what Simon had. But the fins were kind of thick, you know, and uh, the foils on them weren't great, and they were kind of sluggish. Like when I brought mine my, my thruster home, I was pretty excited to try to adapt to it and try to learn from it, but it was just real sluggish. Huh. Um, who shaped so that one? What's that? Who shaped that that thruster you brought home? Yeah, it was a Daryl Bolger. Okay. Um, yeah, Daryl's uh, currently still shaping today. He shapes for JS, I believe, in Australia, and uh, 
really, really progressive shaper, but, uh, Barella had one too. And we were, we were psyching. Um, and you know, we, they were, they, they worked pretty good, you know, on the gold coast, we went and circled around it like Corumba Alley and Kira and, um, they worked okay, but those, those thrusters didn't work well on our East Coast waves at all, those early thrusters. Yeah. How is it popping over to Australia to, you know, surf just like the, the, the coast? I mean, that's the East Coast, so you're pretty familiar with the way the, the sun yeah. and everything sets there. But, like, how, how, are, how are you accepted from, like, the locals? Yeah, it was pretty incredible experience. Um, you know, my first um, – you know, this is way before, you know, cell phones, right? And uh, <laughs> Freddie Grosskreitz, Freddie Grosskreitz was an international judge. He was from Florida, and he was a pretty well-renowned um, uh, pro here from the East Coast. He was from Virginia Beach, and um, so he was a judge, like, you know, from the East Coast on the international panel. I, uh, I teamed up with Freddie, and I called him from New Zealand, and he goes, hey, I'm not going to be able to meet you at the airport, but um, you're going to be staying at Nat's house and da 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 da. And I'm like, Nat, what do you mean, Nat? And uh, Nat and, Young. Yeah, Nat Young, right? And uh, <laughs> so um, somebody met me at the airport, and you know, so I'm, you know, I find myself I'm staying at Nat Young's house for like a week um, when I first got there, and just to kind of, you know, find my feet and get used to the Australian waves and. Um, kind of just adapt a little bit in Sydney and um, before we went up to the Gold Coast and then Freddie came and, and picked me up and we went up to Lennox Head and it was classic, you know, you guys, we were living out of the car and just going and and just parking at surf breaks and sleep in the car overnight and, and wake up to like Lennox Head in the morning and, and just, you know, exploring Sounds the coast. Sounds Finding pumping waves everywhere and, um, so I did that for a few weeks and we, you know, I did the stubbies pro and then I teamed up with Freddie again. And then we went back down South and I think Freddie was getting pretty sick of me. Right. We stayed in <laughs> Sydney we stayed in Sydney for a little while. And, uh, and then I teamed up with, uh, Chris Bystrom who, uh, you know, made the movie blazing boards. Oh yeah. Uh, and Bystrom was awesome. And same thing. We were living out of the car and just cruising the coastline. And, uh, so I cruised the coastline with him. And we went, uh, I think, from Bell. Were you, were you blown away on how, how many little nooks and crannies and how many waves yeah. they have over there? Yeah, man. It, it got me super inspired at all the different surf breaks. And, um, you know. Because Cocoa we, Beach is like, you know, Huntington. Yeah, yeah. It's just all sand and straight. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, it totally opened my eyes big time, you know. And, and, uh, and then, of course, the caliber of surfers in Australia was incredible. And, um, so yeah, that, that's sort of, that whole scene got me inspired and I, I just couldn't wait to get back. And the Stubbies pro kept coming to town. Um, it came to Sebastian Inlet for two or three more years. I didn't win again and I, and I didn't get another final. Um, but Mulhern, Mulhern finally, uh, did win. Um, I think it was, the the third year the Stubbies came to, to, uh, town and, uh, Mulhern, uh, beat charlie coon i believe um and, and at that time i was like okay i'm you know um coon had decided to turn pro and so charlie and i decided to go on tour and uh so you know a few years later yeah charlie and i were cruising around in australia and searching out all the different surf breaks and 
and hanging out and, uh, yeah, learning as much as we could about, you know, competition on the international. So were you guys like, okay, you got to go show up to trials at all these events, you know, to get points and stuff. So yeah, how how did you fund that? I I heard you were like shaping some boards at one point to help pay for, pay for some of your way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Sundeck, you know, I think at that time, uh, I think they were paying me like $700 a month. Um, and it just, it wasn't enough like to do the tour. Right. And then, uh, I got teamed up with Alita or it might've been O'Neill at one time too. I was with O'Neill and they're, they were paying me, you know, a couple hundred a month, but still not, you know, not near enough to do the tour. Right. But, uh, my shaping, um, you know, was, was starting to take off and I started, uh, shaping in Japan and I was making good money in Japan shaping nice. and that was kind of helping fund my, my way on the tour. And, uh, yeah, it was, I was really lucky that, you know, my shaping started really kicking in and I was riding, you know, that was after I, you know, I got on board with Quiet Flight, riding my own shapes. Um, and Quiet you know, Flight was selling your boards for you too? Yeah, I had my own surfboard model. It was Matt Keckley Airlines with, with Quiet Flight and uh, they had a good selling, you know, that model did really well. And when I was on tour, um, Richard Munson was filling in and, and shaping some of the orders that were coming through on, on my behalf. And, and, uh, that's, you know, right around the same time as, you know, I teamed up and got, got Kelly on board and, um, and Sean on board. And, um, so yeah, it was, it was, it was challenging, you know, writing, writing your own boards, learning as much as you can about, you know, making your own boards and, and progressive boards that are on par with, you know, what the world's best are writing. And, uh, it really, really challenged me and helped me with my shaping and every event I was just scoping out everybody's boards, you know, and, you know, Tommy Carroll's boards and the racks and, you know, everybody's boards, I'd just be pawing those things and, and learning as much as I could from, you know, what the world's best for riding. Right. And, who, uh, who was, uh, were, were people, were people asking you to ride your boards? Like, and make them boards and um, like you know, other pro surfers. Yeah. You know, like. I think like some of the biggest names I made Potter aboard. Nice. He'd asked me to make him aboard. Um, Sick. and, uh, you know, I think, uh, there was a few guys, but my, you know, my focus really was, was on Kelly and Sean. Like I, I recognized like these are the guys and, uh, like th- these guys are my future sort of thing. Like, yeah. and so, you know, I really put, you know, all my energy mostly into like just keeping them supplied with boards and, and then just keeping up with my own boards with my contract with, uh, with quiet flight. Um, they let me shape as many boards as I wanted. There was one year I made myself 53 boards, you know, it was, wow. it was an incredible opportunity. And, um, I took advantage of that as much as I could. And, um, but it was really hard keeping up with Sean and Kelly, um, as they were progressing, you know, and then keeping the boards, you know, keeping good boards and up-to-date boards under their feet because, you know, they were growing. And, um, you know, I made boards on the North Shore. Those guys came out to the North Shore, and I made boards with in Buddy McRae's garage and, um, you know, got uh, Jack Reeves to glass them for us. And, uh, you know, so, but it was challenging, you know, to try and, you know, wear all those hats. Yeah. Uh, and you're trying to be a pro pro surfer still yeah, right and trying to be a pro surfer 
but you know, yeah, I wouldn't trade it for a world. I mean, for anything in the world, it was, it was. So what, what, what was your most memorable, um, uh, finishes and, and what was your memorable like tour stops? Yeah. I'd say like my big, my, one of my best results was I, I beat, um, Tommy Curran, um, in, uh, the 1985 record bar pro in North Carolina. And, uh, nice. I, I was one of the only guys to actually beat Curran that year. So I was, I was really psyching. Um, Sick. but I wasn't, I wasn't able to convert that to, you know, I think I ended up, uh, getting fifth in that event, you know? And it was like, that was one of my better tour results. I got a ninth at Margaret River once. Nice. Um, like I won a Tropics Grand Prix. They had like A-rated events, B-rated and C-rated events at one time too. Yeah. So, um, Speaking of uh, big waves, uh, wh- when was your first trip out to Hawaii then? Yeah, so in 1980, um, my parents bought me that ticket to, to oh, go. Oh yeah, finishing high school? Yeah, I went with Greg Lower. Um, went with Greg Lower, Bob Roman, and uh, the sales rep named Lance Crouch. Um, and we all went out to Hawaii. And uh, I met up with uh, Pat Mulhern and Johnny Futch. Uh, Johnny and, Futch. Uh, I was staying at Mark Fu's bed and breakfast. It was pretty classic. Um, and Greg Lower and those guys kind of went on and did their own thing. And and uh, I got to surfing and hanging with Mulhern and and Futch that whole time. And we were surfing VLAN and then that's when I first started, you know, surfing pipe and I got focused on surfing pipe and, um, incredible, uh, incredible, you know, um, just experience. I got to surf with Lopez with, you know, like only 12 guys out wow. at pipe, very uncrowded and, and pumping pipeline. And, um, when you say pumping, how big? Yeah. Eight feet pipe, you know, it's like solid eight Ooh. foot and just oil glass for an October, like way over your pay grade, Lyndon. (laughs) Well, let's talk about that. Keck, like what was your, uh, like a big big wave wave experience? experience. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I just pipeline really, it scared me. Like it, uh, you know, I've seen all the movies and, and, uh, you know, my confidence level was there until I, I was on the beach and, and actually seeing <laughs> it right in front of me and, and hearing the power of those waves. And, and I was just like, I was watching it, you know, how close up it is. And what boards like, were you riding? And I've heard all the dangers, yada, yada. And, and there was nobody there. I had a 7.3 Greg Lower single fin. Um, and you know, there was nobody there to show me the ropes. I was just sat there and I, I ran back to the car, grabbed my board, ran down there. And then I was just watching it going, Whoa, like this is heavy. Like this is, this is real. Like this is like, this could kill me, you know? And, uh, <laughs> so I was almost getting psyched out just watching it and, uh, watching some guys wiping out and it's really intimidating. Um, this guy named Adam 12, who was this pipe charger from Miami, um, he still lives on the North shore. He recognized me and he's like, Hey, you're, you're from Florida, aren't you? And, and I'm all, yeah. And he's like, come on out, come on, you know, I'll show you the ropes. And I was like, really? And he, he paddled me out and showed me the channel and, and showed me the lineups and showed me the boils and, and, uh, yeah. And so I started getting some waves and getting my feet wet and I got a few photos, um, uh, 
teamed up with a couple, you know, photographers and filmers that were from Florida, the Polling Brothers, and uh, got some footage and and some pictures, um, surfing pipe and stuff in those early days. And you know, I I got super, I got super inspired and and excited to uh, to just learn Hawaii, you know, and um, and you know, at that time, you know, I was still kind of doing aerials and and. But I recognized like aerials weren't going to cut it in Hawaii, and and uh, as well, like I I realized it's like, you know, the whole like doing skate tricks and stuff. Like at that time, it wasn't accepted, you know, like in, right. in the surfing scene. And I kind of also recognized it's pretty bad for your knees and stuff. And uh, <laughs> let's go back. Prone. Yeah, injury prone. And I was like, you know, I know how to do errors. I can always go back to errors. If, you know, if the, the judging panel starts accepting them and et cetera, you know, like I did some errors in that Stubby's Pro, that first Stubby's Pro. Um, let's go back, uh, Keck. Like, yeah. let's talk yeah, about, yeah. let's talk about when you, when you started seeing and doing errors. When, when was that? Started like explaining to me what Alan Gelfin was doing with those ollies. And, uh, and it was just like, you know, it's like picturing, you know, after Daryl Bolger brought the MR, but like proper twin fins, you know, to our town, like these were proper. And like, I, I honestly think we might've got it, got to look at them maybe even before some of the California shapers. I don't know, but, uh, Greg lower keyed in on them right away and was made Mongol one, made Jeff Klugel one. And right away, those guys were going way faster on the waves and they're like grinding on the lip. And, um, and I was like seeing like this sort of skate influence in their surfing because they were going faster, you know, and they're doing, you know, they're kind of, um, you know, doing fins out, like grinding, like axle grinds, right, on the right, wave. Right, And I was like, wow, man, like all I need to do is do what Alan Galfan's doing above the lip and just kind of transition and learn that transition. And Sebastian, there have been a number of times where on the left side so kind of hit that wedge and find myself in the air, right? And kind of going like, well, yeah, well, now what, right? And just kind of <laughs> get in the air, how do I land? It. Yeah, just kind of off into the shoulder and just splat, right? And then, so when Bruce Walker was explaining to me how Alan Galfan was transitioning um, on the different terrains and that Olipop and kind of spreading your stance wider, it kind of just made sense to me. And that's right away, I was just, you know, practicing that in the ocean and and Bruce was encouraging me, yeah, keep doing that, keep doing that. And I started landing them. And then I, you know, I started doing like these pop shoves and doing some of the other kind of skate tricks and things like that Rodney Mullen was doing. I was trying surfing. So, Keck, you're the, yep. you didn't see anybody else do it before you. No, you know, I mean. That's pretty rad. Yeah, I mean. I think there, I think a lot of us, there were some other guys that probably did the same thing as Sebastian, right? Where you hit the wedge and, and you're kind of hitting the lip and then just, you kind of extend above and beyond and just, but it was that transition thing that was like, to me, that was the whole key. It was like, how yeah. are you going to, you've got to transition. It's easy to get in the air, right? But you got to learn to transition and get up over your board and, and pull the board back underneath you to, to land on the, the transition of the wave that was the whole hard part of it that's pretty amazing to hear that because you know you you hadn't seen you 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 saw the potential of it and no one really was doing it and you were doing it you started yeah. doing it 
you know, the whole, the whole surf skate scene. I mean, it was just a natural thing. I think it was, uh, the surf music, the, the, the music too, in that era. Um, and with urethane wheels, we're allowing skateboarders to, to ride the pools. And it was just this whole progressive movement that yeah. it was natural. It was going to happen in surfing, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. There were some older locals of Sebastian that were giving me shit, like you know, and, and <laughs> the, the old, the old you know, school guy. Yeah, what are you doing? You're blowing guys, it, guys, and uh, they didn't really, you know, accept what I was trying to do. And uh, but um, you know, Mulhern started, you know, hitting the lip, grinding on the lip. We were all grinding on the lip. Futch was grinding on the lip. Futch shortly after was taken to the air and, and transitioning in the air. Also, there were some other guys. Um, Certainly got to mention others with the aerial movement, and that was Kevin Reed and Davey Smith and John Holman, uh, Buddy Lamas there in Huntington, of course, and uh, everybody was taking some different approaches and getting creative, and uh, so it was fun times. You know, the the Air 360 was kind of just a thing that happened. It was just like, you know, like, okay, yeah, first I was doing the ollie, then I'd land thin first, 180. And then I kind of started going a little bit further, and Bruce kept encouraging me. Yeah, you're doing. You're pretty much doing an Air 360. Just keep doing that, you know. And I started landing Air 360s, but they're not the the type of Air 360s you see guys doing today, yeah. right? I mean, I was more like hitting the shoulder of the wave or hitting the berm and then yeah. popping it. Um, you know and, what? Uh, you know what's funny, Cac? Yeah. Just think if there was video cameras way back yeah. then know, like the progression that you guys were doing like it's undocumented right yeah because walker, okay. walker has eight millimeter footage um he did a he did a surf movie of the ocean avenue team it was called upside down inside out oh wow and it was a surf, surf skate movie and um we brought that up the coast um you know with the ocean avenue team part of the part of the whole deal was doing board runs up the coast and so I used to run up the coast with Bruce Walker and, and we would show, you know, surf films and, and pop into all the surf towns and surf with the locals and stuff and um, and push the different models. Jeff Klugel had his own model. I had my own model. Timmy Breyer's had a model. Lewis Graves has his own surfboard model. So they're all slightly different type of surfboard designs and, uh, and they sold really well on the East Coast. Like I said, uh, Greg Lohr, you know, was doing 50 boards a week. Yeah. Bruce Walker's skateboards were just taking off, um, became a really big thing. He was distributing uh, skateboards all over the world. And, um, and uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty incredible. And just, yeah, just thinking back, you know, uh, you know, um, you know, it was, I didn't, you know, it was just a thing, you know, it was just a group of guys, you know, having fun. Yeah. yeah. And, What's, and it wasn't like playing. Go ahead, go ahead. It was yeah. just like, this progression, just feeding off each other and pushing each other, and and uh, but, but like what Lyndon said, there wasn't much video back then. But I mean, you word of mouth, what you saw in the magazines, what they were publishing, what you heard. I mean, it didn't, you know, your imagination would run with anything. So you're yeah. kind of just yeah. I think like people were doing that in little pockets, whether it was like Bud yeah. Lom here in Huntington, and exactly. then, you know the guys down in San Clemente, and you know that like you said, the music. Just the, the whole skate and music and surf like theme, you know, just intertwined was really pushing everybody. For real, for real. And but there was this resistance, right? Because there was the old school guys, right? That yeah, they wanted to surf traditionally, you know, and and just kind of traditional surfing. And 
But then there was aggressive movement too, right? Santa Cruz and Bud Lamas wanting to smash the lip and throw like, you know, huge spray. Rooster's Um, tails. Grind on the lip is kind of, we all wanted to grind on the lip, I think, you know, and uh, like the skateboarders were doing and and just see where it all went. And um, so, yeah, it was just, I think, a natural progression, you know, and I, I honestly, personally, I think, that it all came through, you know, it all came with the urethane wheels and, and the, Skateboarding, the updating, progression. you know, quality of skate trucks and skate equipment, grip tape, um, et cetera. It's like, you know, suddenly it was allowing the skaters, you know, and then the half pipes and, and, you know, it was, yeah, it was just a natural thing yeah. that was going to happen. Right. There was no stopping it. I mean, no. Um, yeah. Look what buttons was doing back on the boards back yeah, then too, you know, like yeah, those yeah. so many creative people, like just taking different lines, di- different approaches, like, yeah. you know, buttons. surfing definitely. Larry you know, Bertelman. Progress. Ber- Bertelman. Bertelman was everybody. full on skateboarder, huh? Yeah. 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 Um, All those guys were, you know, so inspiring and, you know, we only got to see like one movie a year, you know, to see, <laughs> Yeah. you know, there would be one movie would come to town, maybe two a year. And, you know, that was the only time we would get to see what was really happening on the international scene, you know, and uh, all these different progressive approaches that, you know, Buttons was taking. And, uh, yeah, I, for me, like, that was – he was the guy and Bertelman was the guy. And um, Mike Purpose also uh, – Mike Purpose came to town and surfed Sebastian Inlet, and he was kind of doing some things – uh, at Sebastian Inlet that nobody else was doing. He was doing these tail slides with like a finger fin on a stinger, kind of like what Bertelman was doing, right? He was yeah. go way out on the shoulder, get low, and then just bury the rail. And uh, but, but Mike Purpose was drifting the tail, and he was doing this full, like just like Bertelman, high speed out on the shoulder, and then just bury the rail, and then he would drift the tail. The tail would lift, and he would drift it. Um, so yeah, Kelly Slater wasn't the first to do tail slides. <laughs> um, but so, yeah, so, you know, there's incredible, um, you know, just fresh, um, things that were happening in surfing and, you so, know, I think, you, you know, it, you couldn't help but be inspired by that. It was all just so fresh and, um, that's so, amazing. So let so, going back to Kelly. I mean, you just brought up Kelly, and I mean, you you were his, you know, early on shaper, mentor, coach, whatever, you know, all the above. Like, at what point did you see him and Sean and those guys surfing, and just knew you wanted, you know, to work with him, or how did that work? Yeah. I, so I had just gotten on board with Quiet Flight, and um, Kelly was about ten years old at the eight at that time, and he was um he had transitioned from the Salic team. He got on board with the Dick Catree team and, uh, Dick Catree had like Todd Holland and all these little groms. And, uh, it was pretty, you know, pretty forward thinking. Um, he had a really young team and, and, uh, he had a whole squad of, of young guys, but the boards, you know, no, no disrespect. The boards kind of looked like footballs, you know, they were super wide and, and, uh, got to looking at kind of what, you know, Kelly was riding at, at that particular time. I knew Kelly and, and he was riding a boogie board when we first started seeing him. He was riding this, like, I think it was called a tubo. It was just like surfboard made out of EVA foam and it had twin fins on it and uh, super weird board. Like, you can't even describe it as a boogie board. It was before boogie boards. But, uh, you know, when he was seven, eight years old, he was, he was pretty much ripping on this thing and he was catching a lot of people's attention and, 
And then, uh, so Katree picked him up early. And then um, about when he was 10, you know, he was already riding fiberglass boards. And I said, hey, you know, my shaping's taken off here at Quiet Flight. We'd love to get you on board and your brother, Sean. Um, and, uh, yeah, so he was always, you know, surfing at the Islander hut there at third street. Um, and, uh, he went from being like this cute little kid. Like we're all the locals were like, Oh, look at that kid. He's so cute. Look at him, look at him. And then, you know, a year or two later, we're all like going, Whoa, like, look at this kid. He's doing the same stuff we're doing. And like, (laughs) You know, and, and at that time, like, there wasn't, like, there was no Groms that were, like, ripping, you know, like, um, and not, not there, was to his day, there was one day I saw him do, like, three backside 360s, he was, like, 10, and he did three backside 360s, and 360s were kind of a thing back then, and, yeah, um, you know, I was really into them, and do, do a bunch on the wave sometimes, I was, I really liked doing backside 360s, and try to do them as fast as you could do them, and then I so I see Kelly do like three on one wave. I was like, Whoa, like seriously. <laughs> and and uh, so I was like, Hey, you know, I got him on board my boards and um, started bringing him in the shaping room. I, I wanted him to be a part of the process. And I also wanted to, you know, there wasn't many people weren't shaping ground boards really back then and really trying to size them up proportionately. The Sweet blanks were bitch. like, the blanks were like four inches thick. They were like these, you know, parish blanks, the, you know, the surfboard blanks were made for pipeline or, and sunset beach. They weren't made for the East coast. And, uh, so we, you know, hacked down these blanks and, you know, 10 passes to get it to, you know, the, the, the proper thickness, thickness of a, for a Grom. Um, but I, I loved bringing Sean and Kelly into the shaping room just for them to learn a little bit also, but it helped me to have them to really proportionately size the boards up right next to them. And, kind of stand them up next to them and and get the curves right you know because the curves you know back then i mean it was just there were so many different types of surfboards going on surfboard designs going on peter schroff um and shane haran style boards were really popular the kind of laser zap like yeah set 18 inch wide tails right these kind of teardrop boards and uh i don't know i kind of was like People wanted them, but I never really liked that direction for for uh, surfboards. Like, but people wanted them. Shane was super inspirational. I mean, like inspiring a lot of people. And that was kind of like, you know, the MR twin fin thing was kind of ran its course, and then people were starting to ride these kind of laser zap four fins. And Shroff was really kind of you know leading. I think you know. Um, and surfboard is like making like, you know, really cool artwork and pretty punk sort of boards. Yeah. I think it inspired a lot of people on the East coast to kind of go that direction. That's crazy. So Shroff made a a big impact for you in in East coast, huh? A lot. Yeah. His boards were really popular back here and I think they were popular in California. For sure. Wave tools, you know, Lance had the wave tools boards too. And there was the whole echo beach thing too that was going on. Um, and, uh, it's kind of crazy, Keck, like yeah. you are, are an integral part of Kelly's career, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I reflect on, uh, it blows my mind. Um, and you know, I reflect on, on, I don't know. And just, I, I feel really lucky, um, to have 
grown up in, in, in uh, the era that I did with surfing and getting to experience single fins, tri fins, four fins, and, um, you know, and, and then to um, eventually have had, you know, one of the world's best surfers riding my boards. I mean, it was incredible, uh, you know, and, yeah. and uh, to see Kelly, you know, grow and to go beyond that, um, you know, go beyond, you know, Cocoa Beach and onto the international scene. Um, it's something that I'm super, super proud of. And, um, you know, the times we got to surf together in Hawaii and for me to have had that opportunity to try to show, you know, Kelly and Sean the ropes in Hawaii and, and make those guys proper boards for, you know, Hawaii. Um, it was just a really special thing for me that I'll, that I'll always cherish. And, um, yeah, so, so, you know, it, it's, a, it's a once in a lifetime thing. It's, it's just like this dream sort of thing that, that just, I happen to be in the right place at the right time. Right. And, right. Uh, right. I think that, a lot of us in and around Cocoa Beach, we all knew, like, probably by the time he was 12, like, pretty much everybody knew, like, this kid's going to be a world champ. There's there's no way he's not going to be a world champion. I mean, yeah, he was surfing on par with the world's best surfers at, like, 12 years old, you know, 13 years old. Like, um, and, you know, I, I get was, kind of pissed because... I get a little bit pissed because I've heard a few guys like say, yeah, like Kelly couldn't even do a, a cutback until he got on America, right? And But if you look back at Kelly's no amateur way. career, like, dude, he had a super solid amateur career. Like, oh, my board, gosh. Like, you know, third in Worlds and uh, so, got a young or so. But Keck. that's a whole other story. But, uh, you know. Uh, but, oh, there's plenty know, of footage of him ripping. Yeah. He, he used to come by Huntington. And he'd be on your boards like every summer. Him and Sean, they would come and park it here for a month or two. And uh, yeah, that, that I mean, footage of right. him in Hawaii, uh, uh, he was he was on Sun Deck, and he, I th I'm pretty sure it was your board, yeah. Yeah. surfing like small Rocky Point or something. Yeah, yeah on that orange board. Yes, yeah. that's your yeah. board, right? Yeah, that's the board I made for him in Hawaii in Buddy McRae's garage, man. Me border buddy. Um, yeah. yeah, and you you sponsored guys on the West Coast like uh, uh, Ryan Simmons rode your yeah. boards for a while too. Yeah, yeah I had Ryan Simmons on, on board. Yeah. And, uh, and that was that was really cool. That, he was probably uh, you know one of my you know best international sort of team riders. Um, and my distributor from Japan kind of helped make that happen. Um, we were actually paying Simo a thousand a month to ride my boards. That's bro. damn How good money today. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks, Japan. And uh, he 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 was right there on the cusp of qualifying. Like it, it, it came down to Sunset Beach, and he was like, you know, just tenths of a point from qualifying. Man, it was a heartbreaker. So, um, brutal. Tour's brutal. So what happened uh, after Sundeck? You you started riding for Quicksilver. Um. Yeah. So uh, when Sundeck, you know, was folding. Bill Yerke's the owner of Sundeck, you know, I had asked him, I said, Hey, you know, like where, do, where should I, what should I do? You know, where, who should I try to get with to sponsor me? And, and he told me about like, he caught inside wind of uh, Quicksilver about to turn public. And he explained to me, oh, he's wow. like this surf brand Quicksilver, you know, it's never been done in the, in the surf world, but these guys are going to go public. I don't know how it's going to happen, how it's going to work out, but I would really think you would want to align with those guys for sure, you know, and uh, 
I had already known Danny Kwok a little bit at the time. I'd met him out at one of the OP pros. And, um, and so, you know, Danny had kind of gotten his foot in the door. Um, my pro, my pro career was kind of taken off. I went, you know, a couple years without being sponsored. You know, I had a couple little opportunities, like gotcha threw something at me and I was looking at it and I, and I kept talking to Quok and I was like, man, I really want to, I want to hold out and get on board. And I, I kept calling Danny and saying, you know, Hey, you know, like, can I get on board? Can I get on board? And he's like, Oh, you know, not yet. The timing's not great right now. And, um, we're redoing our budgets, you know, going into next year, you know, try me in a couple months. And so I was kind of persistent. Right. And, um, and it was the best thing I ever did, you know, honestly, yeah, and, yeah. you know, was just wait. And, uh, there was, I was actually on this photo trip to, to Nova Scotia with Wes Lane and Bob Barber and, uh, gotcha had sent me a contract and they sent me stickers and come on, let's do this. You're on this trip. And, and, um, you know, I'm holding these stickers and you know how it is, you know, Jay, you can relate, like you want to have that sticker on your board no matter what. Right. And yeah. Like, you know, and I was like, you want to feel part of the tribe. Yeah. You want I wanted to, be part to do of it. Some, some I bigger. wanted to do it, but I was like, I was like, I, it just didn't feel right. You know, That's so crazy. I didn't do it and I just held out. I'm like, no, I'm not going to do this deal. It just doesn't feel right. You know? And, so and you waited, went on that I, trip. I went on the trip, did the, did the photo thing. You know, we got like a, you know, like a six page article in surfing, surfing Nova Scotia way back in the day. And, uh, and then um who who so was then, the who was the team captain of gotcha yeah i think it was Cruikshank at that time michael Mike. Cruikshank. yeah Mike yeah. Cruikshank. and what what was the what was he at saying to you and what what did you say to him yeah it was it was all good you know it it was an okay deal you know but uh like i said though i just i just felt like you know i uh I really liked what Danny Kwok, you know, and, and what Quicksilver had going, you know. And how uh, how pissed was Crickshake at you? <laughs> yeah, he's you know he's yeah, an angry dude. Exactly, you know. Um, but I I got you know I used to surf pipe with Mike, and he was an incredible pipeline surfer too. And I that's how I got to know Mike, and uh, he was the bull, right? The raging bull. Richie and, said uh, he's the most. Uh, intimidating guy in the heat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Imagine he, him as a team manager. Yeah, I know, I know. He, uh, that pipeline, he did really well at pipeline too, man. He was, he was, he was putting on it. Like there was Joey Baran and Mike Krukshank was right there too, surfing pipe just as good as Joey back then. And, uh, um, so Keck, Keck, I I gotta, I gotta hear this because he obviously he sent you a contract. He sent you stickers. Mm -hmm. Obviously he thought, okay, I'm going to put Matt Keckley on the team. Right. And, and for you to go, nah, I'm going to hold out. Cause I don't want to ride for gotcha because I don't feel right. Riding for gotcha. I want to ride for Quicksilver. <laughs> it's hard when you probably already had your mind set on Quicksilver and you're just kind of in the waiting, you know, game, but yeah, that is a tough call. No, it is. It is really tough too. And I mean, you know, doing the tour and, uh, you're playing hard to get. it wasn't even that it wasn't even that i was just kind of like i've waited this long you know and uh and um i don't know was it was it was your thing about it didn't feel right i didn't know what quite what it was i I really liked you know gotcha gotcha was so good it was sick you know and they used to put the like hot chicks in advertisements oh my gosh but but it kind of like i don't know like at 
you know, coming on the backside of Sundeck where I was almost in every magazine getting an advertisement. Yeah. And then I knew like, and gotcha, I'm going to, I'm taking away the backseat, you know, I'm, not, I'm probably not even going to get an advertisement. I kind of recognized that too, maybe as part of it. Huh. And, Cause they had circle. what they had Potter, but, they had Shane, yeah. they had Brock, David Eggers too. Yeah, Brock Little. They had a solid team going. Was Gerlach on Gotcha too? Probably. I think Derek Ho. Yeah, probably Derek Ho. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, so, you... so I was way in the back seat of the bus, you know, and uh, and uh, I don't but know. You would have exactly been the, the biggest was, Florid East Coaster then, though. Yeah, probably. And like I said, I I, I like the Gotcha brand, and I, I like the logo, and uh, but. So it kind of what what happened there was um, I went back to the east. I went back home, and uh, at that time I'd gotten my own surfboard, you know, brand established. Sundeck helped me establish that. Um, that was a Circle K logo that you know I had created, and this is before Super Circle K supermarkets, mind you. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> but it ended up I was like so bummed when I saw the Super Circle K supermarket. I was like, whoa, man, like. That like looks like my logo. Like, like you should is there sue him. <laughs> um, but uh, anyhow, uh, that's a whole nother story. But um, so I was shaping um, in this factory in Melbourne and uh, just grinding out boards. And uh, Sunday had said, "Hey, you can run with your own logo. Run with your own label. It's all yours. You know, and, and best of luck." Um, and so. And then I get a phone call and Quack Quack calls me and uh, says, "Hey Keck, you know we we you know now's the time. We want to get you on board, but we don't want you just to surf. You know we want you to work for us." And uh, yeah. I like, oh, really like work. What do you mean work? You know? And I was like, "Well, we want you to be like." And he used as an example like the Pepsi PR, like Pepsi Cola used to have like this. Pepsi uh, Cola tasters test. You know, they'd go around the country, and they would have Coca Cola and Pepsi. And I remember those. Yeah, yeah. kind of use that as an example. You know how Danny, he's just so energized, right? And he's like, "Well, you know, I want you to come out to Costa Mesa, and I'll explain it to you. But it's going to be kind of like this promotional job, kind of like what Pepsi has going. You're going to be running up and down the coast." And I'm like, "Cool, like that's exactly what I've been doing, and that's what I want to do." So, like, and. Uh, you so know, and so you were already transitioning to a, a out of pro surfing. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I was kind of, I was still pro surfing, but I was kind of like at that time I was decided to step off the tour. Yeah, and, just do uh, domestic stuff, domestic yeah, contests, like, shape. Yeah. yeah. So they yeah. they so Quack created a, a position for you. Yeah, he he did. He created a position for me, and he flew me out, and I met with him and, and Preston Murray. And uh, and he laid it out there. He's like, look, we want you to create events. We want you to go out there. We want you to scout talent, go up and down the, the coast, um, establish relationships with all the surf shops. I'm like, I already got, you know, the relationships with the surf shops. I've been doing that because I used to run up and down the coast with Bruce Walker. And then, you know, I started running Kelly and Sean up the coast with Sundeck and we were doing like a summer annual summer trip and we would pop into all the surf towns and, and surf and and um, so it was like, I, that's what I want to do. So let's talk perfect about Perfect timing. Perfect gig. So And, you know, Danny's uh, energy, it's infectious. You know, you, you guys know he's like, yeah. you know, he's a million miles an hour and he's just throwing these ideas at me. And, 
And I was like, okay, like, this is all new to me. Like, but he was mostly kind of like, look, we trust you. Just go out and create, just get, get innovative and, and, and take chances. chances. We encourage you to take chances. And I'm like, all right, super cool. And, and so right out of the gate, I started doing like these scouting tours and they did like a poster of me, kind of like uncle Sam. And it was like Quicksilver, we want you. And I'm like pointing. Wow. And I, I kind of show up. Have, in these different do you have that imagery? What? Yeah, I do. I have that poster. Yeah, I have that Dude, poster. Dude, you got to send it to me. I will, I will. Hey, like, can we ever watch you? And it was like the Uncle Sam letters. And it was kind of my idea. Like, let's do this. And I'll, I'll go into these different surf towns. I'll put on like a little one-day event. And uh, we'll have surfers come. And I'll, and I'll judge them. And then I'll pick team riders, you know? And so, Hey, guys, uh, can we take I a... Did. When I met with Danny and Preston Murray was on board also as Danny's assistants. Um it was like when they had just kind of moved into that Monrovia building and, uh, and it was just like, I was blown away. Like, Whoa, like this is such a step beyond, like, you know, they were, they, uh, they were cutting and sewing the fabric in the back. Um, and, uh, and the Quicksilver brand was just taken off at, at that time. So the, the board shorts that were really popular were the sky palms and, uh, kind of this, you know, I had the silhouette sky palms on the board short. And then shortly after they did the mountain wave on the butt, right. That, yeah. And that's kind of when I got on board and that's when their brand just freaking went through the roof. Oh you my know? gosh. Um, but so, you know, what, Danny what year was just, that you think? Um, that was like 80, uh, I think it was 88. And then I think I came on board in, in 80, like 89 is I think when my contract started, I think. Sick. Yeah. 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 Quicksilver yeah. all of a sudden all of a sudden Quicksilver was the brand. Right? Yeah. Remember? Yeah. It's funny. Yeah. I started working at HSS in eighty nine and Quicksilver was like the brand. And remember, you know, me working retail, there's a bunch of different uh items that that will will forever be like in, in, in you know etched in my brain and remember the the quicksilver flannel with the hood yeah yeah that was yeah. like one of the things yeah. that put them on the map absolutely and then, and then remember when you guys started making uh qsd mm-hmm. yeah quicksilver yeah. salt water denim and then because yeah. that was that was then right like yeah and boothy was their one of their top team riders and you know tom carroll was you know on the you know backside of all his world titles and and uh so yeah everything was prepped and primed and um you know and and then but, yeah, but quick so. but quick was you know based out of you know costa mesa their west coast you know based and they they needed somebody to to manage you know or help promote like the east coast and i mean yeah. you were the perfect guy at the time and i mean you yeah. did an incredible job but i mean they they knew the East Coast was important on how many board shorts they were selling over there. Like, we need to give these shops over here some more love. So, yeah, for so real. Tell, yeah. Uh, sorry to cut you off and, and, yeah. and derail us on on that meeting. Like, so they, they flew you out to California. You met the office. What were you expecting? What were you thinking? Like, yeah, I mean, like Danny and I already had, you know, we had, you know, our friendship in place and, and, I always admired Danny and the whole Echo Beach thing that they already had going. And, uh, and, and Danny was like, you know, I looked at Newport, like 
Sebastian Inlet. Like it was just this energy zone of, of progression, you know, with, with Jeff Parker and Danny and, and, uh, Preston. Preston and these guys pushing, you know, surfing in another direction. At the same time, we were all pushing surfing in another direction. And so I met Danny at that first OP Pro, and uh, he was only like 16 or 17, maybe 8, 17, I think, um, years old. And, uh, you know, we got to talk and da-da-da, and I was just like super stoked on Quok and, you know, and we you know, he was asking me about Sebastian Inlet and da 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 and anyhow, so we had the, kind of that friendship in place, and and then Danny, you know, really got to be, you know, really one of the higher ups at Quicksilver, and then, you know, when he brought me on board, um, yeah, I was super nervous. I was kind of like, wow, I, I wonder really what they have in mind for me, you know, with this position, and um, you know, and and even after our meeting, I didn't have this super clear picture, but he was kind of like we want you to take chances, you know, keep doing what you've been doing, running up and down the coast, um, try to create some events, um, you know, uh, run some surf like, uh, clinics, like, and they kind of came up with the clinic concept. Um, and so when I came back, I was all just energized, you know, from, you know, by Danny. Um, I'll tell you, you know, one other quick story, that same day, you know, after Danny and, and Quok brought me on board, they were like, hey, let's go golfing. So we went this little par three chorus in, in Costa Mesa, right? Dude, and I suck at golf, right? And I'm just like so nervous, right? <laughs> these guys are like, these guys are like, yeah, you golf. And I'm like, no, man, I don't golf, man. But I'll, I'll, I'll cruise with you guys and I'll, I'll hit a couple balls. And anyhow, at that first tee, um, it was like a par three. I nailed the pin on my first shot, like I almost dropped it in the hole and those guys are looking at me. No way. <laughs> and, uh, it was just total luck shot and it was just so downhill after that. Right. But, <laughs> but, but they were uh, psyched. Yeah. And I think I, I, I got too much confidence after that and just my game went just to shit after that. But, uh, wow. that's anyhow, kind of it was, it was funny. So, so that's they kind of told you what they gave you like out an outline of what your position would be. Right. And then you kind yeah. of just created it and, and yeah. made stuff up as you went yeah. along. Yeah. And so like some of my first projects that I kind of dove into was first, they, they had a little bit of a team going on back here. So it was kind of like pick up the pieces of where that is at, you know, I gotta, I gotta get this, uh, this little kid Slater on the brand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. It was definitely <laughs> in the back of my mind and I definitely wanted that to happen. Um, Did Quack know I, about him already or? What's that? Did Quack yeah, know about oh, Kelly? For sure, Danny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody knew about Kelly at that time, and and I very much wanted to get Kelly on board, and um, and uh, but anyhow, so you know, my first sort of projects were to start doing these surf clinics, and so I started doing these local sort of events, and uh, I was bringing like a TV set down on the beach and doing these like progressive sort of training sessions, and wow, guys out in heats and video on them. And then we watched, like, you know, watch the heat on, the, you know, on the beach, on the TV, right? And uh, Coach Keckley, bringing, bringing the big, it was bringing the tube down to the beach. Not a flat yeah, screen, yeah. you guys. This is yeah, way no fun back. Those TV sets back then, man, those <laughs> things were big. But uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was all fresh and new. And and uh, what, what were they going to pay you? What was your pay? Yeah, it wasn't bad. I think it started out. I think it started out at like. 1400 a month and uh Ooh. 
No, and then it, it progressed. Uh, That's you know, a lot of money back then, right? Yeah, yeah, not bad, not bad. And and I looked at it strictly as a working position. I I recognized like, you know, prove like, myself. I got room I'm to grow. Prove myself. I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna prove to these guys in the long run. Maybe I'll become a sales rep. I don't know where this is gonna go, but this is pretty good money. In the meantime, I'm gonna learn as much as I can. Good and, brand to be associated with and work hard. Get yeah, get yeah. 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 I mean, 100%. build build your resume, bro. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Th- think about that. So like far. that was eighty nine, right? Eighty nine, ninety. Yeah, eighty eight, eighty nine. I think. Yeah. And, and to think that you were getting paid, you you were working remotely with nobody. You know, there's no phones, yeah. there's no computers. Yeah. There's no computers. They they basically are giving you free money. You could have just called in once in a while and said. Yeah, I'm doing this. I'm doing this without doing anything, and fourteen hundred bucks, dude. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. yeah, but there was no way I was going to do that, Chuck. You know, and and what I did is of course, just, of course, they wanted they wanted you know to have you know monthly reports, and so I wrote the monthly reports and you know fill up these big envelopes with what I've been doing and you know scribbled on you know some pages of what like who's doing what on the team. Um, who's progressing, who's not, um, you know, what sort of events I'd recently done, what surf shops were involved, et cetera. And, uh, and so, yeah, I was just like, and it was funny because like, even like the product, right. Like, like, um, it was really difficult cause I had to, you know, uh, get everybody's sizes, you know, um, what the shirt sizes, their board short sizes are, their jeans, what size jeans they wore, all that stuff, compile all that. And, uh, you know, and it was just back and forth mailing, you know, stuff to those guys and the list of, you know, the updated team list of everybody's sizes. And um, That's it was a lot. so funny. The first fax machine, right? When fax <laughs> machines first came out, they were like, yeah, we want you to get a fax machine, right? Yeah. <laughs> it was 2800 bucks for a fax machine with oh, the thermal God. paper, right? I was yes. just like, Danny's like, don't worry, just get it. And I was like, you know, because he knew it was going to save a lot of time and, and all this mailing back and forth and stuff too. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, this, this is amazing. Like the future, like I can communicate on this fax machine and – and back and forth, yada yada, and uh, uh, you know. And so, anyhow, uh, I, I can't but, tell you how excited I was about the fax machine when it first came. Yeah, out. right. Yeah. <laughs> it's so, how does this work? I don't know, but it's amazing. Yeah, and uh, but um, so we did some of those surf clinics, and um, I think things really started kicking in for me with Quicksilver when I started doing the surf camps, right? And so I started teaching kids how to surf and and we were doing these local camps and and then at that same time roxy was starting to really get going too um and uh and the women's brand was coming so i started they brought me on board with roxy too and then so my pace up my pace started going up really pretty solid then so i was doing quicksilver camps and roxy camps damn and, and uh i was working my ass off i was doing camps like from Texas, from Miami, all the way up to New Hampshire. Wow! Doing camps in Puerto Rico, um, surf contests. I started doing the King of the Groms. I was the first to bring on the King of the Groms. You you King came up Peak. with King of the Groms? Yeah, I, I came up with King of the Groms. Sick, bro! That is yeah. insane. Thanks, man. It was cool to see it kind of transition onto a world you know, stage. 
they see a transition into this international thing. I was something really, I was really proud of. Um, Kudos they let me to run you. events at wave pools. Like I ran a, a huge um, surf party along with Surf Expo, and it was a Quicksilver Typhoon Lagoon party, and uh, it was huge. It was eighteen hundred people from Surf Expo. They all got their own like invite, and uh, they came out, and it was Boothy. At the time, it was Shane Beshin rode for Quicksilver, Machado rode for Quicksilver, Kelly, um, and I think we had Pat O'Connell there, and the uh, Strider was there, and we had this private exhibition, right? And I got the the engineer at the uh, to bump it up, the lagoon to yeah fire it up, and he put an extra two hundred eighty thousand gallons of water in the pool, right? And we tested it like the day before and kind of dialed in the wave and and uh everything kind of came together um where we had offshore winds and, and we had like a fashion show tied in with it and like a you know keg party and it was pretty epic man. Yeah. the good old days man uh, yeah my wife was there she, my wife deanna helped me out with it too and kind of helped doing some of the coordinating but that was probably the biggest sort of uh event that i had done i, I think that was in uh I want to say that was 92 i think is when i did that sort of big party surf event that was insane like there's some footage uh there's this old surf movie called uh surf energy that Kevin oh yeah well put together and uh it, for typhoon lagoon it was pretty sick like they were kind of getting barreled coming out and uh people were were really pumped you know and was it at night like an, an yeah, evening right after the time yeah, yeah right after surf expo the sun was going down beers, beers were cracked yeah, people had music Sick. you know and then the fashion show and uh it was pretty cool and danny was there danny flew out for it to help out and danny was on the mic he was classic man yeah danny was so energized it was great god things have changed huh with like the kind of retail support you know with the brands you know i don't want to jump ahead but you know just with yeah. with just what what the connection was with you know these regional like you know teams and and just you know the the support was awesome yeah yeah it was uh yeah it was cool you know and thinking back in in that whole era you know jay um you know like mcknight had said you know we went from from this like fashion forward fluorescent colors right to all of a sudden, you know, it was the Nirvana day of grunge, grunge. Yeah. came in. Grunge ushered in this sort of like you were saying, Chuck, with the pullovers and these sort of grunge sort of baggy you know, jeans. That kind of kicked in like pretty quick. And, and I kind of for me, I was like, "Ooh, this is like a new territory. Like, you know, I was kind of unsure, like, can surfing pull this off? Because. This looks like the kind of stuff you go down to the thrift market and get, you know, or, you know, go down to Tijuana and get or something, you know, and, and, uh, I wasn't, I was just kind of unsure, like, you know, surfing, are we sure we want surfing to go this direction? And, yeah. you know, Donovan and, and Gurr, those guys were kind of had the tribal thing going, right? And, yeah. Uh, you know, and it was just like, you know, it was kind of like, and Quicksilver was on it, man. They were spot on with their, you know, transitioning into that whole era um you know so it was just and i love the clothes i was like you know after they really got it down the clothes were unreal they were insane like super high quality and uh yeah i was i was just real thankful to uh to see that and i was kind of 
I was kind of over the bright Sundex stuff and, and just like being known as this fluorescent guy, like, you know, everything's like pink and bright orange and green colors and stuff. I was kind of ready to move on, but still at the same time, I was unsure like that the surf world, you know, if we were going to lose our identity, I was really concerned that surfing was going to lose our identity and that some, you know, some other company was just going to come in and scoop it up or something, you know? Well, that's kind of what happened, right? Mm, like, yeah, find out, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. surf, surf was in style through heavily like it was a heavy influence on on fashion and trends and whatever and then all of a sudden you know you had abercrombie and fitch and then hollister yeah (laughs) right that's when those brands kind of took over and then fast fashion (laughs) has taken over right but now it's kind of yeah yeah, and that's a crazy story how those guys bust onto the scene, huh? Through the colleges and yeah, I, I, I caught wind how they just kind of like, dude, they just totally blindsided the industry. How they came in to the to the schools, and they kind of like, you know, they got with the influencers of the colleges and just kind of scooped right in, man. It's yeah, like, they, pretty they were they, they were taking the California. California lifestyle and bringing it to middle America, mm-hmm. right? And they, yeah. they, they had the cool packaging and cool imagery and cool whatever, and it kind of took over. But I think, not, you know. Not at the coast, not at surf, but yeah, but not, the masses. Not at the like authentic surfers were just laughing and, uh, you know, and their Makaha t-shirts, you know, Abercrombie Makaha shirts and this and that i was like whoa these guys are gonna get beatings you know <laughs> yeah well we, we had we had the huntington pier and they were putting up these like cameras on the underneath the pier but they weren't pointing really at the waves they were pointing at the like the sand you know at the, like the coast uh-huh. and we're like what what are these things and then we go to find out that yeah like hollister or you know amber whoever put them in and they live stream it into their stores you know, mm-hmm. just to give that lifestyle feel, you're like, wow, that's, that's heavy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, <laughs> you know, I, I never knew that, um, you, you worked directly with Quicksilver and, you know, we're, we're a, a, a big part of their mar- East coast marketing and, yeah. and really like, man, I, I bet the things, like you said, King of the Groms, you came up with that. And uh, I'm sure a lot of the uh, concepts and, and grassroots events, you know, y- y- that you came up with and made popular, they kind of probably, you know, push that to other areas of, of the world that they needed, you know, good yeah, marketing. I, I, I always hope so. And, you know, I worked with a great number of, of different people in the company and, and, you know, in the marketing positions, they had a pretty high turnover of of different marketing people and I made so many friends and, and learned different things about different approaches and marketing, you know, and, uh, you so, know, and then just, you know, just even all the way, like fast forward to the New York Quicksilver pro, Oh my gosh. Um, you know, or the, the crossing boat when, uh, the crossing yeah. boat came, yeah. right. Um, that Martin Daly's boat came, you know, it went all the way around the world. It went through Europe, it came around India, South Africa, and then up the East Coast. And I was in charge of working out all the logistics for the boat and 
setting it up for like which beach towns it was going to go to. And, um, we had parties like at every stop. Right. And, um, dude, that one almost broke the camel's back. Like (laughs) for for me, I was like the logistics involved with that one. And just like, I was having to like stress, right. Like depth charts of like different marinas. I had to find out the depths and find out the heights of different bridges. If the boat girl, this is out of my pay grade, bro. What's that? I know. I know. And, uh, and I was just like, there was some times where I was just like, man, I, I'm not sure I want, I'm the guy for this anymore. You know, wow. it was like, I had doubts, but I worked through it and there was good times and bad times. And there was some, there was a few parties where there were some overspends for sure that, that I had nothing to do with, man. Um, that's when that's when McKnight came to town, right? You, you went over yeah, budget. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not me though. I was definitely not that guy. I was always way under budget. I made sure of that, but yeah, there what? was. I don't want to mention any names, but there was one party I think that went down in Miami. I think it was like a ninety grand party. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, and uh, you know they had the boat parked right off the beach in Miami, and uh, it was at the Sagamore uh, Hotel. It's real Gucci hotel in downtown miami and uh and it, you know anyhow it's like it's dark right and there's like the boats parked out there and you're like everybody's like you know like yeah there's the boat like see it see those lights out there that's the boat <laughs> clock's <laughs> like we need kind of, we, we need one of those uh batman lights Wait, uh, go ahead talk clock probably said we need one of those spotlights like batman yeah, so we yeah, can see I the think boat they actually they probably did bring in a spotlight i think and they had the the sick artwork on the boat and the, and they, you know, they kind of did an intro of the boat and where all it's been. It was kind of, you know, it was more cool. about just the party and, yeah. uh, and just kind of showing off the surf boat. And, uh, it was pretty cool though, you know, like thinking back, right. I think that was the peak of, of the surf industry because Billabong kind of had that whole thing going, um, where they had a boat and, uh, and then they got a seaplane, right? And Jay, Jay probably remembers this. Like all of a sudden, the companies are like sporting these seaplanes, right? And they're they got wraps on them with Quicksilver art and uh, and Billabong had yeah. their seaplane too, right? And they, I don't know. They, did did they Hobie was all get about, into that? Did Hobie yeah, get into was, that with you guys a little bit? Yeah, they were selling the discovery, you know, portion. You know, Rip Curl did the search, and and you know everybody was trying to like create newness. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely some big, big budgets. Yeah, but what I kind of dug about that was uh, was Quicksilver was only leasing the plane, but uh, Billabong you know, was buying Billabong them. Bought it, you know. <laughs> and, uh, so Billabong, I think, went out and bought one. You know, <laughs> and uh, like Holbrook was really smart. He did the research and is like, and uh, he was like, oh man, he was like, oh man they bought that plane like it was yeah. a real sketchy plane you know <laughs> you know what you know it's really what i really get impressed and stoked on is how smart surfers can be yeah. and and not like book smart but just like even without book smart like a, a yeah. college degree like yourself mm-hmm. right and and like mcknight was a usc guy um holby was a uh what was he, Irvine? I forget what college he went to, but they were super smart, but they were and 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 went to college and had degrees, but then they're surfers. And then you got you have like Wolcott, who's also a college guy, but then you have um 
what's his face? Uh, Quack, who's yeah. one of the yes. most, you know, creative, integral, I think, yeah, the way, the, integral the way part they, of, of Quicksilver's success. And then you have Mr. Matt Keckley, you know, yeah. Yeah. part of that. And that, yeah. I love that. I love that, uh, you know, you don't have to be a college degree. It helps. And we're not, you know, I'm not trying to say you don't need it, but it's it's rad to see, you know, thanks. real surfers with real brains. Yeah, yeah. Well, well when you're passionate, when you're passionate about it, and like you you've been in the industry, and you got all these creative people, but like Lyndon said, it's just just executing these ideas and making it happen is is, is really you know interesting on like that whole yeah background of you know these group of people from a brand from all over are coming together, they put the ideas on paper, they think about it, and then they go and execute it. And I mean, that's yeah. what a successful brand does. You know, you put good people together. It's, yeah. it's kind yeah. of funny to hear Keck say, you know, he had to find out the depth. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> of the looking at depth charts and yeah. And, you know, getting permits and stuff for, you know, you know, finding out yeah, you... how much the charges are for the slips when the boat rolls to town and, you know, yeah, you just don't come in and valet. You got to find a slip. <laughs> slip yeah, yeah. And and I was coordinating with Martin Daly and and his assistant. And you know that boat only goes nine knots, right? And so we're trying to like set a schedule for this boat that goes nine knots, right? And uh, <laughs> you know up the whole East Coast. And anyhow, when that thing uh, when that thing was like leaving Virginia Beach or something, I was just like, sayonara, goodbye. I was just like, I was almost shooting that thing double birds, you know, just like, I can't do it anymore, you know? That's crazy. Was, That's awesome. It was so gnarly, man. It was it was a lot of work, but, uh, but it was still, it was an honor to be included in that and the learning that went on with that. And, uh, so what, you know. what uh, are you still working with Quicksilver? No, I'm not working with them any longer. I I, uh, I left my position about two years ago. Oh wow! And, uh, so you know, recent. Yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it was a really hard. It was a hard decision, but it just seemed as though the timing was right, and I was right at about 30 years, you know. And um, it just what? I was kind of like, yeah, I worked for them for 30 years, you know. And uh, wow, Keck, that's yeah, amazing. Congrats, dude. That's huge. Thanks. Yeah. Did they get you a Rolex watch? <laughs> no, no. those guys uh, like i said you know all the learning that i had done and i feel like sometimes like i'm the luckiest surfer in the world to have been able to uh just even stay in the industry as long as i have and and yeah. i've always you know i've just really been observant and um like a sponge trying to learn from all these legends and and these guys um and even bob mcknight i've, I've become you know great friends over the years with him i've gone on you know a number of surf trips with him and and, you know, the G-Land and, and, you know, and Quap, et cetera, et cetera. Just, I don't know, what an honor for me yeah. just to even come to hang out with those kind of legends, you know. And, I mean, these guys, you know, Bob's like, you know, he's the godfather of Velcro Valley, right? I mean, yeah. you, you give it to him, right? And uh, yep. and he's just, he's really smart. And, like, you know, you guys were saying Quap and, and uh, yeah, it was just, I was lucky to be in the right place at the right time. And Ch Chad Wells has nothing but good things to say about you. Nice. Very cool. Yeah, Wellsy was always there. We worked on some great projects together, and he was a guy I could always count on, and he was always looking out for the team riders and did an incredible job. You know, the thing about that position is you got to make yourself accessible 
for the team riders as they're traveling all over the world. Sometimes they might be calling you at 1 a.m. or something, and you know you got to be there for them too, and and just offering moral support too. And uh, so Wellesley was always good like that. Yeah, uh, Benny Bigler was. Uh, I I told I told Biggs uh, this morning. I, I ran into him at uh, HSS and Jacks, and I told him, "Yeah, we're gonna uh, interview Keck." And he's like, fuck, tell him I said hello, man. He's like, you know, he used to come to the uh, sales meeting sometimes. And, we, you know, he's the nicest guy. We'd rap out all the time. So I'm sure uh, that's a, that's, that's a cool, cool thing to hear. You know, something, something I thought I'd share with you guys, and, and it's something, um, you know, regarding the surf camps. And, and for me, that was probably some of my proudest moments of uh, – of just the great number of kids that I've got got to teach how to surf, you know, and, oh and all the different surf towns. And uh, and with Roxy on board, right? Um, that was at the peak of Roxy, and uh, when they had like Roxy watches, Roxy jewelry, Ro- Roxy you know visors, Roxy luggage, <laughs> right? And so what I did, you guys, this is pretty cool. I, I thought this was pretty inventive. What I did was I set up. Um, the sign-up program for the surf camps at all these different surf towns, um, what I would do is I would send the entry forms to all the surf shops. And any of their customers that made a purchase of Quicksilver or Roxy of $100 or more, they got an automatic entry into the surf camp. Wow. And yeah, yeah. And, it was, and, and then what they did is I'd ask the surf shops to t- staple the receipt to the – to the application, right? And the parents would fill it all out, age, little questionnaire to, you know, all the information, any health side effects, um, and, and these things. And their email, of course, their email, because you got to get the mailing list, right? Yeah. Guerrilla marketing. <laughs> yeah. And so anyhow, between Jason Borton and myself, we taught like over 10,000 kids and, and girls how to surf, but the, the peak of it, so and we're going to blame the overcrowding of surf to, to <laughs> Right, right. It was pure joy, man. It was so much fun. Um, but uh, at the peak of it, kind of with Roxy, it was pretty cool. What I did, like the girls were so much more fun with the surf camps. They were just so eager to learn, right? And yeah. women surfing, like the whole Blue Crush thing. It blew up? It blue Crush. It was blowing up, right? Um and the girls were just so all about it, right? And we were, you know, there's a couple of camps I had 140 girls at, you know? Dang. Indian Atlantic, like one day camp, 140 girls. And I'd hire all the local surf, you know, watermen and to come in as instructors. But what I did was um, I did these piñatas, right? And they were full of uh, prize slips. And then so the uh, girls would get a swing at the piñatas and bust open the piñatas and then they would get the prize slips and then we'd put all the girls in a big circle like a powwow, right? And then we would pass around the product and show all the latest Roxy stuff, you know, while we kind of had captive attention. Um, And uh, and then the girls were all psyching, like, oh my gosh, I won this, I won that. And of course the girls that didn't win one, they're going to the surf shop saying, hey, I want that Roxy clock or 
how do I get some Roxy luggage or, you know? Yeah. So they're going to the shops and asking for the product that you guys were giving yeah. out. So the stores were like, dude, okay, this is awesome. We got to go buy it now. Yeah. Yeah. And then we, if it, when it was all working right, we'd have a pizza party back at the shops afterwards or, um, you know, or, uh, they would also get like a, we, I'd encourage the surf shops to give a little discount coupon. So we were getting them on the front end and getting them on the back end, you know? Yeah. Um, so you know. Why did you get into me? retail? You sound like a freaking retailer, bro. <laughs> I was just- yeah, I know. My wife was, my wife worked in a surf shop for about 12 years. She's brilliant at it. Which, which um, shop? But- Quiet What's Flight? That? No, no. She worked in a shop out in Orlando and, uh. Yeah, so and she's a really incredible salesperson for sure. I've learned a lot from her. But, nice. But how, how but yeah. good was was Quicksilver to like give you this gig? You're shaping on the side. Did did this help just promote the heck out of your 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 board brand and yeah. and like yeah. shape and yeah. you were able yeah. to coattail like a lot of business off that too. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and um, you know, and just with the relationships that I had, um, you know, and running up and down the coast, um, oftentimes, you know, if I I'd run up the coast, I'd build a bunch of boards load up the van and then make stops you know on the way and you know get my boards out there and uh you know and so you know and that also at that same time um right around the 90s i i teamed up with the wilson brothers and we started extract traction um that was your company huh yeah that was my company and i was the sales manager marketing director and team manager for for extract and you know, from the beginning. Um, and, and those were fun times too. So that kind of went, that went well in promoting that. And, um, so yeah, a lot of work, you know, but I somehow squeezed in a lot of surfs and <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. why we're in this, in this business, huh? yeah, Just, yeah. you know, yeah. keep yeah. the dream alive, get out in the water. And so now today, um, I, I got freak traction my wife and I started freak traction in 2005 and, uh, um, that was an opportunity extract threw at me and, and gave me that opportunity to launch my own brand and, um, free so traction. Was, yep. Free traction. Yep. Okay. And, uh, it's going very well and, uh, yeah, it's, it's awesome. It's a very high quality, um, traction and super quality leashes. We, we kind of take an approach where we put a little extra quality into everything, even if it's at a higher expense, it, we feel that. It's worth it to uh, to just make the best that we can and, and what's what we feel is best for the market and so it's awesome. super grippy soft stuff and uh, we got leashes with a stay put strap on the leash it stays it stays in place and doesn't slide around um, with this super cush um, sort of design that I invented. So, dude, that's Look amazing. Um, and made in USA, so made in USA. Where here you in Melbourne? Where are you selling it? Like, yeah, um, we sell up and down the East Coast, Hawaii, uh, California, Puerto Rico. Who's your rep in California? You know, I'm I'm looking for a rep actually right now. So look no know. further, talk. buddy. Yeah, right? I know, I know. <laughs> Let's talk. Let's talk, buddy. Hey, we got we got a new traction sponsor. I hear I hear tra- traction and, and leash sponsor. sponsor yeah, here. I know, Jay. Right? I should be interviewing you, bro. I mean, <laughs> hey, yeah. I got the theme song. The freak comes yeah. out at night. The freak comes out at night. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Yeah. You've, you've been able to just, you know, parlay it all into, you know, moving forward and having your own brand. I mean, that's that's everybody's dream. 
Yeah. Are, are you shaping quite a bit still? Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of, you know, I'm, I'm doing all the shaping now myself and airbrushing on my boards and, you know, I've downsized the way that the market's pulled back, but, yeah. um, you know, and my, my pads are made here in Melbourne, Florida. And I also get some of my pads, you know, they're made overseas, but, um, but I'm happy to have the, the traction made here in USA as well. Uh, we feel like, you know, we can stay on top of our inventory and, and, uh, you know, and our colors and, and just staying up to date with, uh, new designs more quickly. Um, yeah. And my what wife, a- uh, my wife worked at extract too in, in production and, like, uh, you know, and throughout all this, my wife's been right there with me and helping me and my wife, Deanna, I, I love her so much. And, uh, she's, you know, whether it be events, um, you know, bouncing around ideas or supporting me in, in different ways. She's been there throughout this whole time. I've been married, um, going on what, 25 years now. That's awesome. Congrats. Yeah. yeah we, we got, we got a couple of those that, that keep us in check and, and keep <laughs> us on, on task. And, uh, nice. yeah. So, our- yep. Yeah, yeah, you we, gotta we, have one of those, man. We, so I know that uh, you you text me some photos going back to surfing. Uh, first off, what's your what's your most favorite destination in the world? Mm, mm. <laughs> well, well, Lennon, that's a two part question. Yeah, you know, right. Two part question. Break it down. It, there's yeah. the wave. The, yeah. You're talking about a specific wave or group of waves or whatever, and then yeah. it's. The, the atmosphere, the culture, the lifestyle, like what, you know, so some of those, mer- those yeah. some of those combined and then some are totally different. Yeah, yeah. No, I know. I know. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, um, for the vibe, for just the vibe, the surf vibe, I tell you what, Dominican Republic's a pretty special place. Wow, it's got, okay. it's got uh, a lot of euros, uh, a lot of people from Europe all hanging out there. There's a big kiteboard industry. Um, and uh kite sailing industry and uh and um yeah this and just the vibe itself it's really awesome i, I highly suggest it benny b benny bourgeois goes down there a lot he actually i think he lives there like he uh, doesn't he do like surf camps down there too and stuff yeah, he's all he over yeah yeah. And, uh, yeah it's got the coolest vibe and uh so that's probably as far as vibe goes dominican would be right up there um there's some a lot of caribbean islands that have a really cool vibe uh St. Bart's is a really special place too. I used to do surf camps there. Um, that, that place is really pretty Gucci, but it's got an awesome vibe and super cool surf culture, uh, mostly French, French influence. Um, and it's a French owned Island. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, Central America, as far as wave go, waves go, you know, I don't want to name any countries, but there's a few waves that I, I got onto. Um, you know, in my early forties, mid, you know, mid forties into going into 50 years old, there are some surf breaks that I got some of the, my best waves of my life, you know, riding. Nice. They kind of disappeared. Um, there's some random sandbars at a couple surf breaks that come and came and go, came and went. Apparently that earthquake in Japan, um, wiped out like it, that tsunami came all the way across the Pacific and although it was only, I think, Costa and, and some of those Central American countries, um, you know, only got hit by like a three-foot tsunami, right? It's a lot of water coming into the coastline and uh, seemed just like it pulled all the sand away. Pulled all the sand away, just wiped out these, you know, sandbars at a couple of special spots. Um, 
So, Keck, so uh, Keck, yeah, this just that's where I kind of was getting some of that uh, GoPro, some of that early GoPro footage. I don't know if you saw some of that, Jay, but I, I'll uh, check it out. Yeah, I, you know. Keck, why do you wear your leash on the wrong well, foot? Yeah, yeah. I, w- I, I, I was going to. It's the right foot. I was going to bring that up when you talked about <laughs> how you have this keep in place. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Funny. You know, leash. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, you, you uh, keep it in place so you don't step on it. Yeah, I, I do. I get a lot of shit for it. Um, I don't mind telling the story. Um, it started skateboarding. I broke my leg skateboarding when I was like 15. Ah. And, uh, and so coming out of that injury, I started wearing it on my front foot. And then I was like, wait a second. Like, it's way less drag, and I'm never getting tangled. Why is this working so good? I'm like, I didn't think I was going to like it. And, uh, and then I was just like, this is, the, like, to me, it all was like, this is way better. Like, because when you think about it, when you stand up, right, you guys, your front foot is the first thing that moves, like, out of the gate in that motion of snapping to your feet. Right. Your back foot is, your back foot barely even sweeps the board. It barely even moves as you stand up. So, like there's nothing for it to get tangled on, you know? Huh. Yeah. I'm going to have to uh, try that tomorrow. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so <laughs> that's kind of why I've always been like, you know, and it's funny because I've seen top pros and heats like where they're tangled, like, like, you know, like cow tied, like with their leash and they're like, there's this image of Owen, uh, Owen Wright at Chopu and he's just wrangled in his leg rope in the most critical moment, like uh. dropping in at Chopu. But you know, anyhow, I, like, honestly, I feel like telling the world, like, look, he's got it wrong. <laughs> honestly, I That's step so... on my leash every single session. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> try Linden, try. Fr- try just try it. That's all right, Lyndon. You know. <laughs> so, I, That's I, so, okay. Second part of the question, or not question? It's not the second part. I saw you texted photos of BSR, right? Yep. Uh, tell us about that experience. I've never done it, but Larson's done it. Yeah. Yeah. The it, was, Texas. It, was, it was incredible. Um, I flew right, you can fly right into Waco, which is a really small town. And, uh, and it's weird. It's just this cowpoke town. And, uh, as you probably, you know, you've heard and know about, and it's out in the middle of nowhere. And, uh, got your man-made uh, Sebastian Inlet right there. Man-made Sebastian Inlet. And, I, I got a taxi, this taxi driver was this Middle Eastern guy, and he was just all, hey, you know, like, what's the deal? Like, I don't understand what's up with this wave pool, you know? He's like, <laughs> there are people coming here from all over the world, I, I don't understand, like, like how they're surfing in the middle of nowhere, but, <laughs> you know? And, and he was telling me all the stories and uh, about how much business that thing is bringing to town. It's so like, crazy. And, uh, isn't it crazy? Like all of a sudden there's the wave pool craze is just blowing up and yeah, hopefully this yeah. pandemic doesn't slow it down. Right. For the and, last 30, 30 years, they couldn't figure out how to make like a good wave pool. And all of a sudden, like last <laughs> wet four years, like, boom. Okay. Here yeah. they are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like the same surf industry we know. Right. Jay. Yeah. Everybody jumps on the bandwagon all at once, you know? Oh, so can't, Hey, you know, Good. Yeah. Keck, yeah, um, I don't know if uh, I'm pretty sure uh, McKnight is the one that brought this up, but he said that you and Kelly were the were first to like 
come up with the technology or, or came up with the, the idea of, of, of creating a perfect wave pool and brought it to, to McKnight and, and like 30 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's uh, Quicksilver's been approached, you know, a number of times by some different inventors. And, um, you know, before before the the guy that I got introduced to um, through some of my friends in Cocoa Beach, there was um, there was another guy um, that was pursuing the wave pool sort of with some new technology. And and um, it was this gentleman, Jamie Meiselman. Um, and he tried to, uh, create a wave pool for Ron Johns and, uh, you know, Quicksilver had sent me up to this wave laboratory thing up in New York. I think it was Albany, New York. And, uh, I got to see this, like Quark sent me to go check this out, go check this out, kick that, we want to see if it's viable and, you know, and come back and tell us what you think. And I went and scoped it out and it's this miniature little tank and, perfect wave right you know five inch wave um and this goes back to like what you said chalky about you know these surfers right they're 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 not scientists they're not you know you know they're they're not incredible businessmen all the time but but they sometimes have this knack right of knowing what's the right time to do what or this and that you know and their timing is impeccable but anyhow with that with that particular wave you know pool there was some really cool new technology um that was you know these guys had and this company had made a numerous water parks you know all over the world um i took videos of it and slow mode them and you know and wrote a report sent it back to danny and those guys all met and I was fingers crossed, like, you know, this could be something really huge. This could be something big, you know, and, and, uh, and those guys looked at it and I think, I think their stance was, this is really cool, but you know, why do we need to be the first, you know? Yeah. You know, why not just let somebody else be the first and, you know, and we can see, you know, see, oh, if it's, see how viable it is instead yeah. of drop 9 million or 6 million or whatever it might cost. Why? You know, and, and I thought that was pretty brilliant that they had that fortitude to just give it a pass, you know? Yeah, as, yeah. As excited as we all were, right? And we're frothers. We're all, everybody, you know, yeah. whether it be Bob McKnight, you know, we're all frothers. We want to surf a perfect wave. It doesn't matter if it's Kentucky or, or you know, G-Land, you know? It's like, give us a perfect wave, you know? Yeah. Uh, and uh, so I think they they – that was kind of their stance and they gave it a pass, you know, and it ended up being the right call. Cause yeah, apparently that it they, never came to fruition that particular, it didn't, it didn't really all come together. Yeah. So a few years later, these friends of mine approached me from Cocoa beach and they said, Hey, Keck, you know, my cousin, this, this guy, Kevin out in North Orlando has this invention. It's pretty amazing. you got to go see it. And, and, uh, you know, I was like, let's go, you know? And so we went out and, went out to this guy's house and it was crazy you guys like literally it was this like round pool like about the circumference of about 18 feet in his backyard right next to his pool and uh and he's like you know telling us he was relating surfing to nascar he's like (laughs) you know and he's like 
you know, people love circular things. You know, they love NASCAR. They love to see cars go in circles and <laughs> round and round and round they go. And this is the wave pool design. Everybody wants to see surfers like go in a circle and just keep going. And, you know, and I was kind of like, hmm, like, you know, like, well, let's see what you got. And this thing was super intricate. Um, you know, it was like, I, I would never even a million years have an idea how he invented this thing. And he's like, okay, watch closely. I'm going to flick this switch and you're going to see 12 waves that are going to appear out of nowhere. And, uh, and so he goes and flicks this switch on his patio, man. And swear to you guys, 12 <laughs> perfect waves appear out of nowhere and they're going in a circle And my mind. My jaw was on the ground. I was just like, what? Like, and it was these like paddles that were like undulating, kind of pushing, you know, and propping up. 12 different waves and it kept kind of propping it up as it went around this tank. And if they, know, if, uh, if they yeah, could build, like, build it right, to well, scale, this, this could be it, you know, but this, you know, it's certainly going to be a really expensive endeavor. And, uh, but let's, you know, let's get Kelly on board. Let's, let's get Kelly to check this thing out and Bob. And, and I knew like between those two guys, like, you know, they were the one to, to make it happen, you know? Yeah. And, crazy. Uh, so it kind of, you know, you know, Kelly ended up, you know, they did all the research and realized that I think it was way more expensive um, than it was worth, you know, doing. Um, it, but it kind of set Kelly on that kind of a direction, uh, you know, pointed him in the direction of wave pools. And I think it made him believe like, yeah, I, I can do this. And, and, you know, and Bob and, you know, they kind of, and, and other investors, they put their minds together and, you know, there you have it, Lamore, right? Yeah, yeah. Have you yeah. been? Uh, have you yeah. been to Lamore yet? Yeah, yeah. I got to surf it twice, and uh, it's rad. It's rad. I, I highly suggest it. It's so it's incredible. And, um, Todd Klein and I got a session together with Kelly, and um, it was pretty. It was a pretty cool experience, man. It's a leg burner. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, and it's kind of a pressure cooker. You know, I'm sure you guys have heard and seen. It's definitely not not as easy as it looks um it's incredibly fun and, i've, I've surfed it a couple times keck yeah, nice chuck what'd you put <laughs> you got the legs you got the legs to go the 900 yards <laughs> i i got uh did well. i got larson invited but then he had to go to hawaii with his family so he blew it yeah <laughs> I, I had to take a rain check and i haven't cashed that in yet i'm waiting oh, for that rain man. check to be cashed yeah. in oh. <laughs> I got Kelly's phone number. I'll have to. Uh, well, Ch Chuck's got his number. He's got. He 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 can get you in there. Chuck's an outer known rep. No, I, I think yeah. you got more pull. Happen, Chuck. Keck, you got more pull than I do, bro. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe you guys need to get you know do a Kelly episode at the pool and just do it live, right? How and, amazing uh, would that be? We'd have to have you there though. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be fun. That'd be awesome. Yeah, make it a group effort. Let's do this. <laughs> you know, Jay. Um, you um, you inspired me with the with the flat deck um, boards with that Doc was making. Awesome. Nice. Yeah, I, I really picked up on your on your surfing and uh, and I got inspired to, to start doing those flat decks and, and check that out. And I, I it made a lot of sense to me. You know, super reactive. Yeah, we we were yeah, we were brainstorming on how to like eliminate you know as much foam without having it you know sink on the rail and, and just lose all the momentum so i mean we were 
we we had no idea what you know that was going to turn into and then you know mm-hmm. kept refining it and yeah the amount of pop and you know mm-hmm. yeah. like speed you could carry through turns and it was yeah. it was pretty incredible yeah yeah different flex pattern by doing that too that you get a different flex throughout the board yep um, yeah that's cool so i just wanted to share that with you because yeah i'm i'm always yeah. nice. dissecting everything what other people are doing and uh and like to try to keep up with that stuff. So I, I, Doc's an incredible shaper for sure. Are you still riding his boards? I don't. No, I need to get one. I, we, I see him all the time, and he always hits me up, and I'm just like, I'm just lazy, you know. And I, <laughs> I hate having to like. I at this point, I'm just like, I don't surf enough. I don't, you mm. know, I don't, I don't want to be that. How'd that board work? Give me the feedback. Like, let's keep. Like, I'm just. Yeah. Um, I don't know. What it's you hard you know like you know yeah uh some mayhems but mostly tim stamps you know i've got mm-hmm. a couple yeah. of each and um yeah i mean stamps are, stamps are good boards and i think everybody makes good boards yeah. like that's yeah. with yeah. this with 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 what's going on in in the in the shaping world with the computers mm-hmm. and how precise you know you you guys are getting them you know back and Mm-hmm. you know there's the formulas are pretty much spot on so mm-hmm. i mean what are you seeing i mean you got i mean you're always in, in, innovating with materials or concepts i mean you had one of the first kind of rocker machines back in the day you you, you did in the nine early 90s yeah I mean, a lot of yeah i learned a lot from that and uh about rockers and and uh at that time i wanted to like computers weren't you know computers were coming into play but but they, they weren't accepted there was this kind of voodoo with them you know and, and kind of in the marketplace but i recognize the precision that you're getting from them and uh i kind of thought that i could compete with a computer by you know um by you know developing optimum rockers and, and getting that part of it fine-tuned and then i could calibrate the rest of the board you know by having a perfect bottom it allows you, you know, by starting with the perfect bottom, you can calibrate the rest of the board really easily by hand shaping. Um, and so, yeah, it kind of led me down a, a good path, and and I did it for I don't know, I don't know, 15 years or so. I was using that rocker machine, and but yeah, like you said, now you know with the computers and and being able to give you that precise you know number of liters in each board and and the tweaking, and now you can you know take what's optimum and just make these little, you know, 30 seconds of an inch tweaks and, uh, and fine tune. Um, yeah, for me nowadays, um, something I'm, I'm really proud of, uh, I'm riding these, these, uh, these boards, they have carbon tubes actually in the boards and, uh, it's kind of, a this elliptical pattern that's, um, these tubes are in the board and, and it goes back to flex and, and the amount of energy. And I've, I've always kind of like epoxies, they're really cool, you know, uh, with the buoyancy that you get. However, with a wood stringer, like the moment you get one ding on an epoxy board and it gets into that wood, the board just is like, dude, the flex cycles, the board just yeah. goes downhill, huh. like within weeks, like the board's just dead. Um, uh, because the water travels between all those round, you know, EPS beads. And so anyhow, you know, I, I, I liked epoxy, but I just didn't want to go down that same road with everybody else. So I, you know, I invented this, this elliptical uh, carbon tube pattern and, 
Wow. Yeah, I'll, I'll send you guys a photo. It's it's pretty pretty cool. And I've been riding that going back to uh, 2006 is when I first started doing it. Funny enough, I, I had this board uh, and it got ripped off. It was my first prototype of it and it got ripped off from Surf Expo before I even got to ride it. I was freaking out. You guys there? Yeah. 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 Yeah, anyhow, this board, got, I got two boards stolen from the expo and, uh, before I even got to try this this design, and uh, I was losing it. That's and, crazy. Uh, anyhow, I was able to get creative, and I and I went sleuth, and I was able to find the boards and get them back. No it's way. crazy. Yeah, it was crazy. Um, so we, we, uh, we're the official um, podcast uh, for West Coast Board Riders. And, um, you know, up, up, up in, uh, Jersey, they started their own, uh, board riders yeah. clubs going, yeah. yeah. uh, where are you guys at? In yeah, I've heard, I've heard some, uh, you know, I've heard all about them and I think it's a really cool, um, uh, format and Brillo, Brillo downloaded me Is Brillo still kind of heading them up out there now. Yeah, 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 for sure. Him and Don Meek. Say again. Him and Don Meek. Yeah, him and Don Meek. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, and um, yeah, and I think it, I think it's really cool. I think there's a, I think there's an audience back here for them. Um, you know, I think uh, I think it's great that Jersey has one going. I've heard there's some motions, you know, possibly in play for here in Florida. Um, awesome. You know, I. Uh, I it's I so much fun. Like it. I definitely would like to compete on in them, but I just don't think I want to head them up. Yeah. Uh, you got too yeah. much going on. Yeah, yeah. yeah, especially, I don't know, during these times, too. You know, I imagine getting permits is going to be not so easy um, for sporting events right now, Yeah, you know? But, yeah, but, but, I, it's going to be definitely kind of a weird, weird uh, future for sure. But, I mean, just the amount of energy at these events and, you know, yeah. somebody like yourself or, or myself that, you know, you know, has just so many relationships and you and you get to see that. That take, generation. Take it easy. Kids, and then, take and, it easy next... late night. You're not that big of a legend like fucking Keckley. Come on. <laughs> no, I don't know, dude. Jay's big, dude. Jay's an incredible <laughs> server, dude. I guarantee he'd smoke I, me. I was just I was just talking about being an old fart and being in the industry for so long. Oh, you know? okay, like, okay. Get get give, giving these uh, next generation, you know, something to look forward to and be a part of something bigger and, and it's yeah. community community driven and you get, you know, local yeah. restaurants and surf shops and you know, it's a really cool event. Yeah. yeah, I love it. And, and you know, just even um, just even the fact that, you know, just these discussions might inspire some young, you know, up and coming Groms and and recognize like, you know, these old farts that are sitting next to them in the lineup. You know, they actually, you know, got a little bit of history in the industry behind them and they've done some good things. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, in the surf industry. It's um, honestly, yeah. it's really cool because it is bridging the gap. And, you know, like you said, it's making people the lineup way more friendly, you know, mm -hmm. and yeah. especially when like you know you got like Todd Miller and his kid Taj, right? Yeah. Um, it's cool to see. Like I'm friends with Taj now, be more friends with him, not just because of his dad, but because of of these events. Yeah, you know? that's cool. And and yeah. his friends, so it's kind of cool. It's it's uh, mm -hmm. really yeah, surfing needs that. Yeah, we need yeah. we need to especially have. Now. Uh, the camaraderie. 
especially now more than ever. I think the timing is, is perfect, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, it goes back to like those Salic events, those team events, you know, and, uh, yep. you know, even before the surf shop challenges, like those guys were doing those team events and, you know, and their whole deal was like, how do we get all these surf shops and all these people together and yeah. sharing that energy and, uh, and, uh, those guys had that idea and, and it was definitely, uh, really forward thinking. And I think that's what's cool about the board riders is it's right along that same sort of concept. And, uh, you know, sure. Australia, you know, I guess, you know, with the clubs, you know, they probably were the first to have that whole concept down. They were probably way ahead of us in the U S yeah. Yeah. Oh, um, for sure. Yeah. But I love it, you know, and, uh, I, I, I hope to see it grow and, uh, yeah, who knows, maybe, uh, one day there'll be like a West Coast battle, board riders going up against East Coast, going up against uh, Team Kentucky Grapefruit. <laughs> <laughs> Team Rick yeah, Kane. You, you never know. <laughs> Team Rick Kane. Uh, yeah. What, what, um, wait, I got a grom here. Wet, bro. Um, I'm doing that for really long time. Oh, why am I doing this for a really long time? Because I'm Who's talking to somebody okay, really, really cool. To. <laughs> yeah so uh, uh, it, anyways that's just yeah kids always interrupting but um but what are you are you following do you follow like the the tour and stuff or do you play fantasy yeah, are you, yeah. you you super big fan like surfing fan such a big fan I, I i probably spend way too many hours on the web checking out and just <laughs> dropping checking out all the websites there's not enough content um for me, uh, like that's so much I love it. And ever since the magazines have kind of, you know, gone away, kind of, um, I'm I'm not getting enough. You know, even with surf Instagram, I don't know. It's it's cool, it's cool, and and I love it for sure, and I follow it. But I, I do I kind of miss the magazines a me lot. Me too. You know, I, Amen. Uh, what's that? I miss yeah. the mags too. Yeah, yeah, I know, Jay. It, I don't know. There's just I don't know. It's just something really cool. Every guy that got a photo in the magazine, you knew like the work that went in to make that photo happen, and you could appreciate it, right, Jay? Like, yeah. Whether it be the photographer um, working behind just the scenes, just or the, the surfer, yeah, and, and, you know, yeah, just shooting with the photographers back in the day, and then you know yeah. they're telling you, "Oh, I got, I nailed it. I got a good one." And then you couldn't fu- like actually see the photos for like days, if not weeks later. You know, yeah. <laughs> the, the yeah. anticipation of waiting, yeah. and then yeah. oh, there's water drop in it. Oh, it's blurry. Oh, I only got you know, like oh, it was, mm-hmm. it was a, uh, yeah, it wasn't instant gratification like today. You got you got cover shots, didn't you, Jay? Yeah, yeah. Trans- I had a good run in the mags. Yeah, Trans- world surf- surfer too, or. Surfing. Uh, he got surfing. surfing, and then uh, yeah, surfing. a French magazine, was it? Yeah, a couple of international mags. Um, That's killer. Yeah, so yeah. part of the good, momentum generation. Back in the day. I almost, I almost got a cover. Like Flame had, he was holding the shot of me, and it was a uh, one of my early errors from like 1980, and is like full tweaked out, like above the lip, but my hand was going out of the frame. And uh, that was the only thing wrong. It's just my hand is out of the frame, but it was like perfect crisp shot on a red board. It had the color flame and it had good water color flame. You know, it just it crushed me. Like you know, you actually, yeah, you might get a cover and it 
didn't actually come to fruition. They almost used it. Um, oh, heartbreaker. Yeah. yeah. What about foiling? Have you tried foiling yet, Keck? Yeah, I've done a little bit of foiling, and uh, I did some e-foiling, and I also did a little regular foiling. Uh, and and I think it's rad. I, I almost uh, I, I felt like I almost uh, pulled a kidney out of my gut, so I, I took a pin shot. Ouch. Know? And it's it kind of frightened me for sure. I was like, and then I, you know, I've done it a couple times since, but I don't know. You definitely got to learn to fall, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm kind of like, I really know it's super super fun, but I like surfing's kind of like, I still love surfing so much, and I like to see spray coming off the board. And I'm I don't know. There's this kind of weird weirdness that I'm kind of like I'm. I'm worried I might like it too much and then it'll it'll hurt my surfing and yeah. or I'm gonna hurt myself really bad, you know? What what uh what's your go to board right now? Yeah, I'm riding a five eight uh round tail, like eighteen point eight two, two point two seven, uh twenty seven liter epoxy tech flex, you know. Nice. Yeah. 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 Everyday so, board you know. I keep kind of just like, as I'm getting older, I'm like, I'm just bumping my nose width a little bit and it seems to help me a lot. Like gives me that just a little bit of extra flotation without like hindering the performance, you know? Yeah. Um, I, so I'm kind of, I really want to continue to ride a shortboard as long as I, as long as I possibly can. And, uh, Amen. But yeah, how, how funny was that McKnight? He's like, yeah, surfing. He's like, you come in as a kook and you leave as a kook. And I was just like, <laughs> I lost it, man. I was like, that's so well put. That, that is well put. I forgot he said and, that. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, what? it's funny. I, I shape quite a bit of fun sh- like fun boards and stuff, too. And, uh, you know, I, I'll be pawing these things and I'll be looking at them like, yeah, one day I, I know I'll be riding you, but hopefully it's not soon, you know? Yeah. So tell us uh, who, growing up, Kind of tell us who you looked up to at a surfing, and then right now, who do you think is the yeah. best doing the best surfing now? So from uh, when you went when you were coming up, and then now. Yeah, yeah um, like coming up, uh, Jeff Klugel, uh, Mungel, um, Greg Lore, Greg Taylor, and. Uh, those Keeping were, it rooted on the East Coast, yeah, yes. Those were a couple of my, like, those, you know, the East Coast guys that I could really kind of, you know, relate to. And um, and then, uh, I don't know, like, you know, like my heroes and idols, like international guys, Sean Thompson, Mark Richards, yep. Buttons. Um, Sean used to come back East quite a bit, and um, it was a real honor for me. I took him to Sebastian Inlet in my Volkswagen Bug one time. When I was just a little kid, that was like a huge honor for me to show him the inlet. And, I bet. And, uh, you know, and uh, yeah, I just, he's just such a such a pro gentleman. And, um, yeah, he's funny. He actually used to kind of warn me. He's like, you know, kick with these airs you're doing. You're you're gonna hurt yourself. You're gonna hurt your knee. You know, you're gonna blow out your knee. And yeah. <laughs> uh, anyhow, uh, yeah, I kind of. <clears throat> It's funny looking back on that. I, 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 I'm thankful that I, I changed my surfing and just like, and got focused on, on like rail surfing and, you know, and, and going back to those days, it was like riding bigger boards. Like Tom Carroll was, 
what Tom Carroll was doing was was the shit, you know. And uh, yeah, and, he had smooth uh, style because his board was longer, right? Yeah, yeah, and and it you know and it really forced me to really take a look at my surfing and just like I just stepped back and just like changed it all, like you know. And I'm just I'm thankful that I did, and I can still do some errors here and there, but I you know I'm still like. I don't want to hurt myself, you know, it's, yeah. it's not worth it, you know? Yeah. Dude, we're coming up Boom. on three hours. We got it. We got to stop. Right on, you guys. Thanks, man. <laughs> no, not yet. Can't, 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 can't cut off that easy. We're not going to cut it off that quick. Oh, okay. Who, All who, right. Who, who's, who's the most impressive surfers of, of today right now? Oh, today, you know, um, it's funny. I was just watching it, like some Mason Ho videos and, uh, Gosh, I, really, I really love Mason Ho's like, just He's having the most fun. The, the, having the most fun and uh, just the whole rock dance that he's doing and, and keeping it fresh and, and riding different equipment. <clears throat> and uh, and when you see him surfing, you see like all these different different lineages of other surfers. Yeah. Like, whether it be Buttons or, or his dad, Mike. For sure his dad. <laughs> you know. And, and you see sort of these influences and, and like I pick up on it and that, like that stokes me out. And, and Mason, uh, he's such a cool kid. Like he, you know, he studies all those old surf movies and, uh, and picks up on all those little nuances of different guys' styles and yeah. stuff and kind of creates his own. Right. And kind of so creative and so fun to watch. Yeah. Yeah. I can't believe how close he is to destruction. <laughs> right yeah 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 no that Him one I, that one tube he gets like in front of the like he's in the barrel yeah like right above drive reef like just just dances along it in the barrel you're like what the heck yeah no panic you know go with the flow mm, yeah and, and when you get free surfboards as many as you want right <laughs> <laughs> that always helps yeah yeah sacrifice the board every time yeah. clay marzo's clay marzo is like the same like he's like that too and when i first heard about clay marzo when he was a kid you know and and uh like when he was first getting on quicksilver i was hearing about this kid and guys were like you gotta see this kid he does airs like right over the rocks like it's nothing and uh and i was like what do you mean and he's like no just that like just what i said like He'll do an air right in front of the rocks, like they're not even there, you know. And I was yeah. just like, like gnarly rocks and stuff. And then I was just like, that's crazy. And then when I saw the videos of Marzo, I was like, wow, that's like so fresh and different. You yeah. Know? He's surfing <laughs> with his eyes closed. <laughs> yeah, and Braille, huh? <laughs> yeah. What a classic man! What a cool kid! I, I did a movie premiere with him that just had water, and uh, we went up the coast together all the way to Rhode Island. And uh, with him and his filmer, that was a trip. That's rad. Nice. Yeah. So what? What? Uh, what? What things you want to promote? Um, mm. I know that you've got your boards. Freak traction. Freak. Well, tell us. Tell yeah. us your website and your Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my surfboard company is KecleySurfboards.com. It's K-E-C-H-E-L-E because I know nobody knows how to spell my name, right? Right. Uh, but uh. Yeah, it's KecleySurfboards.com, and then it's FreakTraction.com, um, and that'll lead you to the store. I got a Shopify storefront. Nice, uh, cool. Uh, you know, and then as well, uh, ask your local surf shop. 
Um, but uh, yeah, we do front grip. We do uh, leashes, bodyboard leashes. Um, we make surf racks. Uh, what? Surf, surf mats. Um, yeah, I got this incredible like man cave racks that are made out of like super high quality rebarb and let's do and, a like, let i'm gonna i'll probably um we'll launch this in the next couple weeks right okay. um we'll have to get some uh some promo and we'll, yeah, we'll do be, giveaway yeah that'd we'll be awesome we'd love to make a giveaway with you guys that'd be awesome and, yeah uh, yeah you know you guys Help let us know it. who the winners are and and we'll send it right to their address you know awesome awesome but yeah something like that so yeah people be pumped yeah. Any, Everybody likes free stuff. Yeah, any uh, yeah. any advice? Any last words? Any um, cool sage things from Mister Keckley? <laughs> sage words? Yeah, yeah you know, um, I don't know. You know, it's uh, surfing. I think it's uh, it's important to uh, to everybody uh, to uh, you know just remember why you started surfing. And, uh, yeah. and it wasn't because of the competition. It wasn't because you're hoping to get a shot in the magazine. Um, you know, you started surfing because you, you, you know, you fell in love with the ocean. And um, I think it's, I think as long as, you know, any kids can always remember that. And I'm hoping that the parents will really drill that into the kids because, you know, Jay will tell you, you know, surfing is like a school of hard knocks, man. There's a lot of ups and downs. Um, yeah. There's, you know, no matter what, you're not always going to win. You're going to get, you know, you're going to feel it. Sometimes you didn't get the fair shake from the judges. Um, and, uh, you know, and so I think with that, as long as you can kind of draw back and why you first started surfing, I think that's, it's just really important to always hold on to that. And, um, and then I think as Enjoy well, the ride. I think, you know, as surfers, I think if we could just ask everybody to, you know, do some simple things, um, and, and be stewards of, of our ocean and, and be, if you see people trashing the beach, like be verbal with them and tell them, Hey, pick up your trash, you know? And, and it's not so hard for us as surfers to, you know, set that example and, pick up two or three pieces of trash as we're coming out of the water. Um, and I try to do that. And, uh, if we all as surfers do that, you know, millions of surfers on the planet, I think, you know, every community community can kind of benefit from that. And, and it might inspire, um, others to start thinking more about that and be like-minded in that same way. Wow. Nice. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, shoot, man. It's, uh, what, what time is it? 10 o'clock there? Yep. Yeah, time flew. Good stuff, you guys. Yeah. Hey. Hey, please look me up if you ever come back east or you got something going on um, yeah. you know, I, that I can help you with back here or something. You know, give me a shout. Same sure. here, man. And, and we'll do yeah. this again because uh, yeah. you're, you're a legend and I'm, I'm sure we yes. only thanks, dived man. into a, a third of your stories. So thanks, man. Yeah, Matt Keckley. Yeah. Here with you guys sometime. Thanks, buddy. Thank yeah, you so Jay, much for your time. Too, man. Appreciate it. And keep it up, bud. And you guys keep doing good in the industry and doing what you're doing. Thank you, sir. Thank you, man. Peace Thanks. out. Peace out. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the show. Please give us a five-star rating and spread the word. 
Special thanks to our good friends, James Williams for our awesome artwork and Justin Reynolds for the amazing music. 